Welcome to episode 198 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode four, The Whole World is Watching, directed by Kari Skoglin, written by Derek Kolstad, and the head writer for the series is Malcolm Spellman. But before we begin our review, just want to take a moment to let you know about the exclusive podcast that we have available on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. We have exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, including Patreon credit scenes, where this week, the corresponding Patreon credit scene for episode 198 of the MCU Fan Show is going to include our thoughts on the brand new trailer for Loki, the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series that premieres on June 11th. We have other exclusive podcasts as well as an exclusive Discord community. And for more information on all of the exclusives that we have to offer, please visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or just hit the link in our show notes. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to all of you who have already taken the time to do so. And now on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing very, very well. This is a wow, man. This yesterday like left me like speechless. To well, be quite honest. Yeah, I'm glad you had a day to recover because being speechless doesn't work all that well on a podcast. But I, I understand the feeling for sure. Yes. And this episode, the fourth episode of the Falcon Winter Soldier, in my opinion, I think a lot of folks best one yet. And that's saying something because I really loved episodes one and two. Also really enjoyed episode three, but episode three felt like a little bit of a dip to me. And I think it did for you as well. Just remembering our conversation from last week. This was a return to form, getting back to the bar that was set by the first two episodes and then going even higher than that. And so this one, it was an emotional episode. It was a very interesting, very fascinating episode episode that was full of ethical and philosophical debates that I just absolutely loved. I ate that stuff up. There was so much good material in this episode and some really cool and fun action. And then as was teased last week with the appearance appearance of Io at the end of the episode, the classic drop-in character appearance that you get in a Marvel comic book, uh, we get that and more with what we see of Io and uh, a few members of the Dora Milaje later on in the episode. But before we get to the present day in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we flash back to six years ago in Wakanda. I can't say when this series started that we were going to get to see Wakanda in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I did not call that, but it was great to see Wakanda and hear that Oscar-winning Ludwig Gornson score. And Mm -hmm. so we see Wakanda six years ago, and it's a more remote area of Wakanda. I mean, we see the main city area, metropolitan area in the distance. But we're around this campfire, and it's Io and Bucky, and Io is saying the words, those trigger words that turn Bucky into the Winter Soldier, and Bucky is saying that it's not going to work, but it does. And Sebastian Stan's performance is so powerful in this scene. He's communicating so much in this very intense emotional experience. There's fear, there's anger, there's pain. And then when Io finishes saying the words and he doesn't turn into the Winter Soldier, the relief that washes Mm. over him, that happiness and that sense of freedom, because Io says it, you're free. And Sebastian Stan, we see him feeling that as Bucky in the scene. And also a great performance 
by Florence Kasumba, who is empathizing with him as Io. She's genuinely happy for him when she sees what this experience means to him, what this freedom means for him. Just a great performance by both actors and one of the most powerful scenes we've ever seen from Sebastian Stan as James Bucky Barnes. Yeah, this was a scene that I didn't expect to get at all. And it was really, really nice to kind of get some perspective on how how does uh, Wakanda or someone, anyone, right, get into Winter Soldier and deactivate these triggers in his mind. And, and again, who knows how many triggers that they had in them. And I'm assuming this is just the one or they're, they're I'm again, assuming these, that they did everything to kind of make him normal again. And just to see that actually on screen, and again, the benefit of having a television series opposed to a movie is that you get to do these kinds of things and you get to really enhance and explain and and get to know these characters in a different way. Um, And I think it's great to see these two characters interact and and see why it makes sense for her to show up and for Bucky to have that conversation that we see later on. And give us some idea of that, like Bucky understands and they understand Bucky and there's that mutual respect for each other. Mm -hmm. And it was was really nice to see. And again, like you said, Sebastian Stan's performance, I mean, everyone's performance in that, in that scene was great. It it felt because you really felt that they, she really was so happy for him. And and that was definitely portrayed beautifully. And I got to say that there was, I, for me, for me, it was great to see that you know you get because again you get to see an end game he's normal and we see it off screen that's fine we assume that but to see it on screen and get to see some exposition or some excuse me character development as i what i need to say that's what was really important and that to me is what enhances and makes these shows so so good is that you get to see these moments that i think are important for us to i think we love these characters for what they can do for action and and everything but we we also we 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 love them for forever because of these moments because of the human moments that we all can agree with and to see that are beautiful moments in in their lives that we can you know again take that and say that's what it felt like when this happened to me or that happened to me or you know whatever or when i saw my friend go through something and i saw them overcome it and that was a beautiful moment like that you can when you can identify with the art that you're watching listening to or whatever it's so gratifying and that's what that scene represented to me was again what just it's no, so nice when we, we can get to know these heroes and that I, I grew up, we have those moments in the comic books, but to get that on screen, uh, more of that stuff on screen now because of the television series is great. And it was a great example of that. And I love this. Those again, every, it was executed beautifully. And I really, I really appreciate They showed us that. I appreciate it as well. And you're totally right in that it's the human beings that we care about within these stories. And that's what makes them so worthwhile. That's what makes us want to keep going back to them is we're just furthering our own relationships and our own understanding with these characters. And it is so great to be able to see the moments because these characters mean so much to us because we're given the opportunity to connect with them. Then the experiences that mean so much to them ultimately transfer to us. And and we want this for Bucky. And I think this was a moment that I don't know if we knew we wanted it, but we did because we knew that Bucky was healed in Wakanda, but we never really saw that. He was frozen in Wakanda in the mid credit scene of Captain America Civil War, and then we see him waking up in the post credit scene of Black Panther, but there was a key test that was missing in between then, and it was whether or not 
to really show the freedom of Bucky Barnes from being the Winter Soldier is could he be free of those words or would he just be would he automatically fall back into being the Winter Soldier and being ready to comply? So seeing that moment where he really broke free and how much that meant to him. And again, through Sebastian Stan's performance, just an extraordinary scene. Absolutely loved it. Great opening to the episode. And then we cut to the present day back in Latvia. And Io wants to know how Bucky could let Zemo go free. And they confirm. And of course, another interesting piece about Io here, she confirms when she talks about how Zemo, which he did do, killed King T'Chaka at the UN back in Captain America Civil War. That killed the person who selected her, Io, to be a member of the Dora Milaje. So there's a connection between Io and T'Chaka that we didn't know. I mean, we could have presumed as much because she was in Captain America Civil War. But we see what that meant to her. Of course, what it means to all of Wakanda, but then a specific connection for Io. So I was glad we got that line. And then Bucky talks about how Zemo is a means to an end. And that's an important phrase to remember as we go through the episode. But then we talked about the respect that Wakanda must have for Bucky and that Io must have for Bucky. We saw, of course, the moment between the two of them in Wakanda six years ago. But she doesn't just take Zemo. She actually, when Bucky says means to an end, she gives Bucky eight hours, which she doesn't have to give him. She doesn't have to give him anything, but gives him eight hours, calls him White Wolf. And I like that what we see from Io is she's genuinely disappointed in Bucky, but there's still some level of respect there. And also just the use of the name White Wolf. It was one thing to hear kids kind of running around and saying it in the post credit scene in Black Panther, but as was suggested back in episode two, with Bucky actually correcting Sam when Sam called him White Panther and Bucky saying it's actually White Wolf. This is a given name that means something. It means something to Bucky and it also means something to Io and anybody else who played a part in giving him that name and calling him that name in Wakanda. So that initial interaction, the present day interaction between Io and Bucky, I also thought was really great. Yeah, that was a... The White Wolf thing was was interesting because I didn't really expect um, that to kind of be a uh, a carryover necessarily as far as like, you know, as a callback to kind of enhance that completely. But it was like, oh, man, like it's it's actually like a real legitimate you know title. I thought it was just a, it was almost like a moniker that that T'Challa um, kind of gives, uh, you know, Bucky from Endgame or whatever or from um, Infinity War. And, and I know it, like it meant something, but it just he, seeing or hearing Io say that um, herself in this context, like even Bucky when he said White Wolf, I just kind of you know I didn't really think much, super much of it. Yeah, but I mean, now, even when even when T'Challa called him that, he didn't say it to Bucky as a name. He just said it, it to uh, Okoye, like the White Wolf has rested yeah. long enough. And and we, we heard kids saying it, but yeah, nobody's actually to his face called Bucky that name that we've seen so far. Yeah, and so that was a very telling sign to me that again, like they. they that they trust him and that there's, and again, that, that, that is a, a, a positive white, you know, a positive thing that they have given them that name. And it, there's a reverence to it in a sense to where like acceptance. And I, I just love that. And I love the fact that, and again, anytime you can, like you can have reasons to call people like superhero names and monikers. Like I'll always love that stuff. And mm-hmm. even though white wolf isn't necessarily anything that I can, I don't think it's anything. It could become something in the comics, to be honest. And it's some, in some way, like the fact that, but they're calling Bucky white wolf is interesting. And I, I don't 
Winter Soldier could be something else down the, down the line. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know what it means. Just throwing it out there. I'm not saying I'm right, but it's just just put put a bookmark on that. I'm just curious. Um, but but yeah, I, I do. I did like the fact that they enhance again. That moniker is a way for them to enhance the reason why Bucky's accepted and why Io would actually listen mm-hmm. to Bucky first place and you have to establish that but again because we have that from from infinity war it makes sense and a bit these build off of it and it's again why we love these connected universes so much when you build not destroy but when you build off what you what you've accomplished and what you've done and i love this you know, using little things like that to really enhance and improve these character building moments absolutely and then we go back to the hideout where zemo and sam are already there and then bucky shows up Says that the Wakandans are there for Zemo. Zemo thinks it's sweet that Bucky defended him. But then things take a little bit of a darker turn. Well, not a little bit, a lot of a darker turn. Uh, when we get back to the hideout and they Bucky is checking on his phone and he sees the news and reports it to Sam and Zemo that the bombing that Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers did, although remember, Carly did it on her own without anyone else's knowledge. But that bombing at the Global Repatriation Council facility left three dead and 11 injured. I thought it was a lot more than three, just based on the explosion that we saw at at last week's episode. But either way, three murders is a lot. So uh, Zemo is ready to just kill Carly and wondering if Sam is also ready to carry through the mission to see it all the way to its end. But Sam isn't really thinking that the mission needs to be exactly what Zemo sees it as. Sam is arguing that Carly's just a kid And Zemo tells Sam that he's seeing something that isn't there. And he calls Carly a supremacist and says the very concept of a super soldier will always be trouble. And he talks about how that warped aspiration led to the Nazis, Ultron and the Avengers. And then when Sam says, hey, those are our friends, Bucky clarifies the Avengers, not the Nazis. Uh, Sam notes that uh, Carly is radicalized, but that there's a peaceful way to stop her. And then we really get into the philosophy, the ethical debates of, I mean, it's already started here, but then Zemo puts a fine point on it when he says the desire to become a superhuman cannot be separated from supremacist ideals. Anyone with the serum is inherently on that path. And Zemo says that Carly's not going to stop. She'll just continue to escalate until she kills you, until you kill her or she kills you. Mm-hmm. But then Bucky has a counterpoint, argues that the serum never corrupted Steve And Zemo Mm -hmm. has no argument for that. He just acknowledges and says, touche, but there has never been another Steve Rogers has there. And this is different for Zemo, though, because remember last week on last week's episode on the plane, Zemo rather freely put in a comparison in, in likening the Red Skull to Steve Rogers. I mean, he was making that transfer pretty easily. This time, he at least acknowledges that Steve Rogers was not the Red Skull. Steve Rogers was not a Nazi, and Steve Rogers is also not Carly Morgenthau. So there's a certain level of respect that Zemo is paying to Steve, but then also acknowledging, hey, the world kind of got lucky with Steve Rogers, didn't it? Because everybody else that gets a super soldier serum, it goes into that whole thing that absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I, I just love, I mean, this sets up even more debates and discussions that are had throughout this episode. But this whole thing, this whole notion of, Craving power, seeking power, all in the name of doing what you believe is right, what you believe is just in the world, that you know it's right for the world, and therefore you have, it's it's upon you to go ahead and correct it. And we'll get deeper into it as we go on, and these characters reveal more about themselves. 
But Zemo starting this conversation right now and this initial debate that he has with Sam and also Bucky, I thought was really outstanding and really great mm-hmm. writing by Derek Kolstad, the writer of this episode. And anybody else, of course, you have a whole writer's room that contributes to these things and the head writer, Malcolm Spellman. But this episode, the dialogue in this was so on point. And I think it's just it's fuel for a lot of fascinating conversations to be had. Yeah, this was very I love how Zemo is doing this because Zemo showing to me, he's obviously manipulating everything um, on every end. And mm-hmm. I think that you bring up a great point. The fact that he has a plane where he says, you know, you know what he says there. And then also here where he starts saying, yeah, you're right. It didn't corrupt Steve Rogers. He acknowledges the fact that Steve Rogers remained consistent. Yeah. And, but I think, but I think there's also, a, he's, he's kind of playing, uh, you know, seeing where he can go and where he can kind of get by and, and what's going to trigger certain people in certain situations and, you know, get the reactions he wants. I just feel like he's, he's, he's playing all these different sides. He's a very, very much a Palpatine that I'm, I'm getting from him. And because, you know, I, I always think of Palpatine, they, they don't lie. They just tell you the truth, you know? And, and it's, it's just interesting that he, you know, he can, he can, go around these different ideals and then also be like, yeah, acknowledge. Yeah. Steve wasn't corrupted. And, but there's still like, but like his points before about symbols and things like that all still remain too at the same time. That's what's so interesting is that he, he's acknowledging that not everything is black and white. There are grays in there as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I love this because it sets up the fact also what we get later on, which we won't get into, but quite yet. But it also, because we, we talked about, it, I think last week, right, Sean, we talked about how the serum enhances the inside, not just the outside. Right. And where that obviously comes into play, but I love the fact that they, they kind of, this is the first kind of uh, mention of it and, or I kind of, they touch on it in this, the first part of the episode, because we, it's an emphasis obviously later on. And you get an idea of like what that is, what what that means exactly. And it emphasizes the fact that what Erskine says in First Avenger that it enhances, you know, not just the person outside and he points at his heart. And again, I love it goes to that scene again to where the serum is is more than just a muscle. And I love that. And, and, and it's weird because I always considered that when Erskine said that in the movie. But it really, like, I just saw the impact of it even more of the series and then go, man, that is really a cool idea to really take that to the next level. And so I love that they're playing on that a little bit, at least with this, you know, at least acknowledging that here. And I love that Bucky is the one that has to say right. it. Like, no, it's it's not. It didn't corrupt any, it, everybody. It didn't corrupt Steve. So I, I love that. Yeah, everything that Erskine said to Steve Rogers the night before giving Steve the serum, all of that has held true. And with Zemo, I don't know if it's quite Palpatine for me, but I think what I what I like about Zemo is giving that respect to Steve Rogers. But it's also, yes. as I was saying, it's just the world got lucky and we'll never get that lucky again. And that's why we mm. can't trust this mm. idea of the super soldier serum just going around is it was a one in a million or even worse odds than that shot with Steve Rogers. And we're just never going to be that fortunate again. And also a difference between Steve Rogers and others who we see throughout this episode is Steve Rogers actually never asked for the super soldier serum. It was his only way in. He wanted to make Mm. a difference. He wanted to contribute. Remember, he was signing up for the military as skinny Steve. 
And he was trying in every way he could, lying on enlistment forms, which, okay, that's maybe not ethical, but either way, we knew what his motives were, that he was just trying to help out and just wanting to feel like he should be doing his part like anyone else. But the only reason he ended up in the program is because Erskine chose him, and it was his only way in. It was his only way in. And if Steve had not been chosen for the serum, he never would have, I don't think he ever would have felt slighted. I don't think he ever would have felt like it was the wrong thing that that he deserved something and he didn't get it. He would have just been like, okay, great. Well, I'm still in the army, so let me go help in whatever way I can. So it was a different thing for Steve Rogers getting the serum despite never really asking for it as opposed to others who sought it out, whether that's Carly Morgenthau or it's John Walker or whoever else. He never sought the serum. It just ended up being given to him. And it was he was chosen specifically because he was the kind of person who didn't feel like that's what he should have or needed to have or anything. He was just a good man who wanted to help. That's why Erskine chose him. Nobody else in this episode or that we've seen with super soldiers, well, I guess Bucky, because he was kidnapped and drugged and brainwashed and all that stuff, but every other super soldier that we've seen, they sought out the power. They chose mm -hmm. to be a super soldier themselves, whereas Steve didn't really make that decision. I mean, he was a willing participant, obviously, uh, because he was offered as the chance to make a difference. But it wasn't power that he went into the whole program seeking to begin with. But uh, as the scene goes on, Sam talks about uh, the funeral service or the memorial for his TT and figures that's how we're going to find out where everybody's at, because they, they must be doing something like that for Mama Danya. Zemo uncovers some Turkish delight, some candy, which is going to come into play in just a little bit. And as they are searching for Carly, we get our first glimpse of the Flag Smashers and where they're at after the bombing at the GRC facility. And they are listening to a news report about that bombing and details about one of the dead was someone who was a father of two and on the job for only a week. And the, GR the GRC condemns them as the Flag Smashers as a radical group. And they're drafting legislation called the Patch Act, which is going to restore traditional border regulations and fast track a return to normalcy. The Flag Smashers have gained attention, but also followers through their actions, which the reporter that we're hearing notes shows that their reach is growing, but also so is the danger. And that's where we get into another one of the themes of this series is the power of symbols for good and for bad. And if the Flag Smashers go from something more about standing up for people and one world, you know, one world, one people versus now killing, then we see how symbols can be corrupted and that's how they can become very dangerous. So these are part of the ethical questions that this series is dealing with. And then we see Sam, Bucky and Zemo walking through this camp of, disp of these displaced people, these internationally displaced people, as they, as they call themselves, not refugees because they're not seeking refuge from anything. So they are looking for any information they could find about the funeral for Danya Madani or Mama Danya. And everyone just walks away. And Sam finds someone who knows who he is. Says, I know who you are, but I just can't trust you. Because even when Sam says he's trying to help, this guy responds, nothing happens when people say that they're trying to help out. And this gives us a good chance, just walking through this camp and getting this conversation between Sam and this teacher who was there, it gives us a good chance to learn a little bit more about who the Flag Smashers are fighting for, 
And we get into Sam's, uh, we also really see Sam's empathy in the way he's just trying to understand them. And he already does understand a lot of what they're going through. And he seeks to continue to improve his understanding and really come across as somebody who genuinely wants to help. But obviously there are trust issues and, and they are completely understandable as well. And meanwhile, Zemo is outside singing Baba Black Sheep, which was really well done by Daniel Bruhl. And he gets the info that they need from some kids because he hands out some candy. And we also learn we get another callback to the tragedy of Zemo's past when he talks about Turkish delight and says how they were his son's favorite. Mm. Um, and then uh, one thing that I found a little curious at the end is after the, uh, there was the little girl who told Zemo about where the funeral was being held that day. He points back to Sam and Bucky saying they're bad men. Don't tell them. But I'm like, but they're going to be standing with you when you approach this girl later in the episode. But anyway, anyway, um, I really the walk through the camp, though, and I think really showing it, it. They could have always spent more time on this, of course, to develop it even further. But I think they did a good enough job of setting up that this is what the Flag Smashers are fighting for. And yes, things have gone wrong and they've done things that they absolutely should not have done, particularly Carly Morgenthau. But you see the way some of these people have been impacted and giving them a chance to kind of speak for themselves like this teacher that Sam uh, talks to um, and even how they identify themselves, again, not as refugees. Like they're not people who who left a situation seeking refuge from something. They're people who are thrown out. And we'll get more details about that from Sam in the next scene. Um, but I, I liked all of this and with a particular nod to Zemo's rendition of Baba Black Sheep. This was a, a good kind of idea of where you're getting the perspective of the antagonist. And again, they're not they're what they're trying to fight for is understandable. How they're going about it is the wrong way. And that's kind of a, a theme of what we get in this episode. There's you know, hell is a road of paved with good intentions, right? And so this is kind of a, a good example of, of, of Sam, someone who's, who understands, who can identify with, with being, you know, as he says, you know, he can understand where people are coming from in so many different levels. And he understands like the pain and like of being like, no one listens to you and things like that. So, and feeling like an outsider within your own people or whatever, you know, being American and things like that. So, I just I, I do love the fact they're playing on those aspects in, in this in the scene. And again, you're, you're just you're just developing the character of Sam even further. We've already got great. We've already had great characterization with Sam in the movies and in the series has done a great job, obviously, as well. But this is the stuff. Again, I go back to what I said before, that reason why we love these characters. And I think that we're, we're getting to know Sam on a different level that's even deeper than, and, and I, we get to saw that with Captain America and Chris Evans and why he is the way he is, but we're almost seeing like his first Avenger, this series, you know, basically is right. It's like we see him team up. We see that he's great aspects of Sam in the films, but this is his first Avenger. And we're seeing the seeds of, of what like, you know, made, we, we saw the seeds of what made Steve Captain America and first Avenger. And that was his origin in that one movie. And now this series is the, like, it's like we're the world's discovering who Sam is and everything through at least again, in a deeper level that we can actually really identify with, with him even more. I mean, everyone. And I love the fact that doing that through these, these different scenes and that he can identify with the antagonist. He understands them. And that make again, he has a, a level of the, he's a hero that, a lot of people, I think that villains 
you, you would have a hard time believing like, oh, like Iron Man or, or even Steve would have a hard time identifying and understanding where these these people are coming from. Whereas Falcon, you know, he 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 does. And I love that, that he, there's that element of him that he, you know, he understands where people are coming from so much that he can try to get through to them. And I love that aspect of the show. And I think it's an important part of his character just going forward and right now. So I love that, ex- that kind of explore, exploration of that. Yeah, I love it as well. And it's just so much good stuff that's going on here. And, and that exploration mm-hmm. really continues when we get to the next scene. And Sam explains even more of the position of the Flag Smashers, but then also the people that they're fighting for. I mean, we've heard about this. We've heard about these people being displaced ever since everyone came back from the blip. And we heard, even going back to the very first episode, we heard about people who thought the world was better during the blip. But what exactly happened? Why do they think it's better? What was positive about it? And also what's been happening since everyone came back? And Sam tells us, he gives the recap. So for five years, people had been welcomed into countries that had kept them out using barbed wire, as Sam puts it. They had houses, they had jobs, and people were happy in all of these other countries that were welcoming people in. They were happy to have people around to help rebuild, and there wasn't really one community, but as Sam points out, the entire world coming together, and then boom, everybody comes back, and it goes back to the way things used to be. And so now for everybody, and the way things used to be meant all these countries that were welcoming people in with open arms are now like, oh, now that everybody else is back, you don't get to stay. We brought you in when we we were keeping you out because we didn't want you. And then we needed you because we all needed an extra set of extra sets of hands to come in to pitch in and help out and help us rebuild our own society. And so we brought you in for that. And now everyone's back. We don't need you anymore. You don't get to occupy this space. Go somewhere else. Where do we go? I don't know. Not my problem. That's what's happened to millions of people all around the world. And that's who the Flag Smashers are fighting for, even if they're not going about it in the right way. This is what it is. And you can certainly understand that's a legitimate gripe for people to have to be welcomed in with open arms and then shoved out when people say, oh, we just don't need you anymore. And so for all of those people, Carly is at least and the reason why they are so drawn to the Flag Smashers is that at least it's someone trying to do something about it, someone trying to fight on their behalf. And then that leads to this really great debate between Bucky and Sam and then also Zemo as well, because then Bucky points out, well, so if Carly is just using the ends to justify the means, what makes her any different than Zemo, who also had his ends justifying the means? Everything he did in Civil War even though he felt like it was a positive thing to get the world needed to get rid of super soldiers and the Avengers and all of that sort of stuff. Well, look at what Zemo did. Look at the bloody means he used to get there. But you know who else also just talked about the ends justifying the means? Bucky. He just said it to Io in this episode. And so that's where we get into this really fascinating gray area that's, I mean, I I live for this stuff and I love the the back and mm-hmm. forth and these types of debates within these stories. And so, you know, after Bucky compares Carly to Zemo, Sam argues, well, it's different because she's not motivated by the same things. And as I said, that's where we get into the gray area, because then we're not just talking about the concept of the ends justifying the means. We're getting into the whys behind it. And that's where you see some of the differences. And, and motivation is a key component when we're considering 
these philosophical questions, because as I mentioned with Steve Rogers, the whole idea of taking the super soldier serum, well, the motive for Steve Rogers was a lot different than it appears to be for some of the other people who've taken it. And maybe that's why there's a different result. And then when Zemo finally shares the info that he got uh, from the girl about Danya's funeral that afternoon, he doesn't want to give all the details so he can maintain his leverage. And I love when Bucky goes after him for that. And Sam calls out Zemo for doing the stupid head tilt thing. And then, of course, uh, Zemo corrects it and puts his head straight back up. Uh, but that back and forth right there was another great debate within this episode because it, it really points to, I mean, even Bucky, who is questioning this idea of ends justifying the means, even though he is in the he is in the process of he is currently in the process of doing that. I think it points to the way that even in ways we don't mean to be, there can be something inherent within the human experience that we are mm -hmm. very, very, very prone to hypocrisy. And the idea that, well, yeah. when we're doing it, when we're doing something, whatever it is, we have our reasons and we believe our reasons to be right. And therefore, it makes sense. And we understand why somebody else, their reasons are not good enough. So they can't be doing this, even though I'm doing a similar thing. And we have to get into all of these we have to get into a lot of differences to break it all down in order to really find out what the right thing is. And because there is no simple answer for these things when you're stuck in the gray and you have to sort all of these things out, which is why you have these complicated conversations, because there's not some things there are easy answers, right? Some things are simple, right and wrong. I'm not trying to say, of course, that there's no there's no such thing as simple, right and wrong. There is. But then there's a lot of other stuff in between. Yeah. And this episode is is diving into that. It dives head, you know, head first into it, and I and I love that. Again, we talked about how when Zemo brought up, they were talking about Steve and how the Super Soldier Serum and all that stuff, and then Baron's like, "Oh, touche!" Like there is that. You're starting to see the exceptions to the rule, and but when does it, the exceptions start becoming a you know a negative or the, the wrong side? And again, the hypocrisy, because like you said, Sean, we as people are going to be hypocrites at some point, one way or another, because we are imperfect people. And I think that a show that's acknowledging that with with big with superheroes and supervillains is a again that's why I love the comic books so much and they explore these ideas constantly in different all kinds of different ways. We we get to see it here on a much more straight ahead level, but it's still impactful regardless. And I love the idea that again everyone's you know what makes difference between Baron Zemo and Flag Smasher Carly you know it's again. It's 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 different, but it's also like it's not that it's not as uh, thick as as what you know maybe right. Sam thinks, right? I mean, it's that's what he was as as in, in the seventies. He was a social worker. That's literally what he did. He he went to help people, and I love this aspect in the continuation of uh, this into the movies and to this TV series. That's his heart, and and even though him and Steve are very different people, we're seeing we're seeing Falcon on a side of where. He's going, he's trying to help that. That is his nature. Steve wanted, you know, he didn't like, he didn't like bullies and he did, he wanted to stand up for what was right. And he, whether, you know, people agreed with him, it was popular decision. And as we see in the, in the Avengers films and infinity war and against civil and civil war, Steve would always stand, stood by what he believed. And, and that's what made him Steve. And he was, you know, he was a good person, but he was convicted and you could, he knew what he, where he stood. And that's what made him Steve Rogers in so many mm -hmm. different ways with Falcon. What makes him Sam Wilson and makes him a great character is that he has a, a, 
a pure heart of for people and to helping people and not being bigger than himself and putting himself out there for others. And that's what we're seeing here. And that's where he's starting to understand the aspect of Baron, you know, of, of Carly, of understanding where she is, opposed to a selfishness like Zemo, where he's like, I want vengeance because I was wronged. And again, you understand where Steve would sympathize more with a Carly than a Zemo and and whatever, or or vice versa. Right. And I just love that aspect of of Sam. And in this episode, again, is a further example of why Sam is such a great character and why he deserves to be the next Captain America is is why where even in the gray areas where he kind of stands on and where he would stand with people and what makes him right and what makes him wrong. Yeah, I think Sam is just a very compassionate and empathetic person, which in many Mm -hmm. ways Steve Rogers was. But also, I I think something that a quality that Sam and Steve both share is that they don't just always assume that they're right. Because I think they both know that that's a trap. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what separates them. And it's hard to know that like you can't you can't define that in a person. And even though I just did for these characters, you can't really (laughs) in life, you can't really just know that automatically. Oh, this is definitely a good person and we can just trust them with anything. I mean, we're able to do that in fiction because we get to see every side of these characters to some extent. But I think that with Sam and Steve, what's, what is different is they do, they understand that they're flawed. I don't think Steve ever thought he was perfect. And he even knew when he messed up, like when he messed up in Civil War, he apologized for it. Like these are the things where these guys don't just assume everything I do is automatically right. And also everything that somebody else is doing is automatically wrong. There, there can be an attempt to understand. Like in the case of the Red Skull, you don't need to understand Johann Schmidt. Dude's obviously evil. Stop him. But with Carly Morgenthau, you do have to stop what she's doing because she's killing innocent people. But you understand if you're Sam and you're being empathetic, you can see that the motivations are different, which means maybe I can stop her. Some people, maybe you just have to stop them with whatever means that that has to be and justifying the means. So here we are again. But I think with Sam understanding that there might be an opportunity to reason with her, there might be an opportunity to reach her and bring an end to this violence without actually needing more violence in order to do that. So I love that that is Sam's, that that's what he's leading with. We'll see where it ultimately ends up with Carly Morgenthau, but I love that that is Sam's initial instinct is to try and reach her and try and bring an end to it without any further violence. And then also, I mean, we get into the the finer points of these debates because I also think Bucky, the reason he would say ends justify the means and it's okay for him to use that rationale for breaking out Zemo or helping Zemo break himself out. The reason he can do that, but it's not okay for Carly to use the ends to justify her means or Zemo to do the same thing is Bucky would say, well, I didn't use the ends to justify the means. I I wasn't killing anybody, but the person Bucky broke out of, uh, broke out of prison has already murdered one person when Bucky murdered uh, Dr. Nagel last week. So these things happen and there are consequences of these actions when we get into this thing. And that's how when you have that ends justify the means logic, sometimes you don't even know what those means are going to be and how ugly it could potentially get. And we see that throughout this episode. But the next thing we get is Sam calling Sharon, needs an extra set of eyes. And wouldn't you know it, Sharon Carter's got access to a satellite so she can help track things that are going on with Carly and John Walker and whoever else shows up. 
But I think the most important part of that scene is what you see as Sharon is walking. So Sharon's walking through these concrete barriers and a bunch of dudes with machine guns. This whole thing that's set up here is designed to keep people out and she's walking in freely. So we, and she mentions a few things. She mentions the power broker being very angry because they killed the golden goose, Dr. Nagel. Madripoor is about to get really nasty and Sam apologizes for messing things up. And she says, don't apologize, just find Carly. Why would an art dealer have all this security? Because wherever she's going, like this is where she's supposed to be and she's walking in freely. I mean, you could say, well, this is the this is the barrier to Hightown and she's allowed to be there. I don't really know that that's what it is. I think that this is the power broker's place and I think that she is the power broker or again, working directly for, but at that point, she might as well just be the power broker because instead of having some other character that we don't know, but I don't know. We'll see how that turns out, but I think with Sharon in this episode, I really hope that she is that there's another reveal because she didn't really have a very big role in this episode. I mean, after being reintroduced last week, she almost it almost feels like she's back in the territory that she was in Winter Soldier and Civil War. Like, oh, yeah, I'm the one you uh, you know, I'm the one who's a phone call away from helping out a little bit, but then I'm gone. I'm, I'm exit stage left and I'm out of this story. And I don't feel like they brought her back to do that all over again. So even though this episode makes it feel that way, I think the reason why we didn't see that much of Sharon this week is there's only so much they can show without tipping their hand too far mm -hmm. toward a reveal that they're not ready for. And so I'm just looking at, regardless of the role she plays in the plot of this episode, I think the main thing is the visual. That walk that she does while she's on the phone with Sam and what she's walking through freely as it's a place designed to keep people out, that I think is a sign of, of who she's ultimately going to be in this story. I 100% agree with you. Um, do you want to get into Power Broker stuff right now? Or Let's do, do it. Wait? Well, because okay, so look, Power Broker has been a couple different characters in Marvel Comics and neither, I mean, the latest one from Nick Spencer's Ant-Man, I don't even think had an actual name, right? The guy who did the who had the the Uber app for supervillains, basically. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, I love I love that in Ant Man, by the way. Yeah, so no, I I love that story, but that power broker was literally nobody. Like, there's no yeah. there. It's I mean, it presents as a male character in that story, but there's no identity. And mm. then the original one from the comics was also fairly short lived. So this is yeah. easily a name that you can take and assign to another already existing character in the MCU. Okay, so I'm gonna go here, and I think. And I, I've seen, I've, I think I've seen this here or there. And again, I avoid, I try to avoid stuff a lot, but people on Twitter do tweet me stuff. And there was one tweet um, I got today, actually, that kind of reminded me and went, oh, okay, I think I've, I think I cracked the code. No, I, I, I think this is where, um, this is where I think it's going to go. I think Sharon is definitely working for the power broker. I think the power broker is probably Thunderbolt Ross mm. and I think Thunderbolt Ross is trying to secure superhuman, super, superhuman characters for the government. Un, they're under wraps. Because again, Sharon, that would make sense why Sharon's kind of freely going back and forth. And there's something she's, or she's the power broker working for Thunderbolt Ross, which I think well, I would say like I, I could agree with that, but I would reframe it slightly. Okay. Sharon's the power broker. Ross is her current client, not her boss. Now, either way, that, that Which works. kind of makes her a boss. In, in effect, you know, customers always right and all that stuff. Um, but, right, right, right. but yeah, but stuff I, that yeah. Super Soldier Serum that she was probably intending to sell maybe to Ross 
is, uh, you know, that's what's gone missing. Or is securing for the government to create more superhuman super soldiers for Ross. And because, again, those who don't know, Thunderbolt Ross is the Red Hulk. Mm-hmm. And where, you know, maybe and again, there's the abomination character that has both Steve serum and other stuff into it as well. That's why he became the abomination. How do you improve off of that? I wonder if they're going to play off that as well to turn him into the red Hulk, or if that is in fact going to be what he's going to be. I think it's very possible. Or he just wanted, he wanted a bunch of vials of super soldier serum to yeah give to his thunderbolts, not even necessarily to himself. Right. Right. And so I, this is where I think it's interesting. I think that you're setting up if that, which I hope is, I mean, I don't want to, I hate, I don't want to get into like, I really hope I'm, I'm right because I want this to happen. But I think it'd be really cool because if Sharon is in fact working with or for whatever you want to call it, it you know, I kind of almost think she's like, they're almost her partners. They could be partners in the Thunderbolts program that he named that she's like, you know, I, I'm kind of keeping an eyes on everything because of my connections with the Avengers and the, and the, the government trust me. They don't really necessarily trust you, sir, whatever. Either way, I think, Sharon will be in the Thunderbolts as well. I think you're going to get, you could get a lot of Captain America tie-ins with that. You can get Fal. I think you're going to get, excuse me, get uh, maybe a Falcon, but, or uh, I think you're definitely going to get a Steve or sorry, Bucky and Zemo and yep. Sharon. I think you're going to get all three of those in Thunderbolts easily. Cause I know winter soldiers, winter soldiers already been a Thunderbolt. Baron Zemo was, a th- was the founder of the Thunderbolts essentially. Right. And there's a lot, and then with Sharon, you then have all, you know, have that kind of through line with, with everything and have that connection with the government and everything. So that's where I think this is going. And I, which I think is really, really exciting. I think the Thunderbolts is, is a really, really interesting uh, dynamic because I've been, I've been reading uh, as, or you could say researching for my, my next video. What I'll do is, you know, what uh, MC required reading for after the Falcon winter soldier, I've already got one story, but I'm working on the next one and I've read a lot of Thunderbolts comic books and I'm very excited of, of the potential of how they can merge things. And I could see that already how they're setting this up. If Thunderbolt Ross and Sharon are somehow either power brokers or joint power brokers or whatever. But I think that to me is where it makes the most sense if they're working in line and they're, they're doing some kind of underground thing to either prevent people from being superheroes or recruiting superheroes to work for them in the uh, CIA or whatever secret, secret organization that's uh, the government's working with. Well, this could be what makes the Thunderbolts necessary in the sense that mm-hmm. what if Ross had his handpicked group and they were just a super soldier serum away from being ready to go. Well, now there's no more serum potentially. Anyway, there there's always the possibility that there's more serum somewhere, but mm-hmm. if there is no more serum and Ross can't get his hands on it, well, now he's got to choose other people. He's got to choose people who already have something in them, whether that's Bucky, who's already a super soldier or Zemo, who's not a super soldier, but still pretty good. And so worth having on your squad, maybe, Sharon's there, or maybe she's like, I'm just going to keep on being the power broker. Screw you guys. I'm just going to keep on getting rich and mad poor. I'm good. Sure. Um, But then Abomination, I mean, other Mm -hmm. characters that already have superpowers, you know, could kind of make sense because we know Abomination is going to be back in the MCU. So maybe that leads to Thunderbolts. But anyway, uh, enough speculating about Beyond Falcon Winter Soldier. Getting back to this episode. So we get a conversation between Carly and Nico, played by Noah Mills as they're retrieving these remaining vials of super soldier serum that uh, are not going to last throughout this episode. And Nico is a character we've seen before, been one of the Flag Smashers, but we get a lot more screen time and dialogue for this character. 
And that's for a reason later, which is not good news for Nico, it turns out. But Carly wonders if making more super soldier serums, uh, or if making more super soldiers, I should say, is a mistake. And I love this stuff. Like we see characters mm. debating each other, but this is an internal debate that Carly is having. I mean, she expresses it to Nico, but we know that she's already been struggling with this. Am I doing the right thing? Even John Walker struggles with that before he ultimately takes the super soldier serum, as we'll see later on in the episode. And it's great to show a character like this that it's not an easy decision that she's making, but you also see how when you start down that line of thinking that you're chosen and that you're meant to do something and that what your cause is just and therefore anything you do in pursuit of that cause is also just, you see how you can fall into a lot of traps. And we see Carly do that in this episode, but just knowing that she was already struggling with it internally is uh, just an interesting note for that character. But then also we get some interesting backstory on Nico that just makes the end of this episode that much more heartbreaking because he says how, as a kid, he was a Captain America fan. Oh, no. Uh, And how Captain America made him believe that there were decent people in the world, and he didn't think there could be another Captain America until he met Carly. And he talks about how today's heroes don't have the luxury of keeping their hands clean, so... Ethically, he's okay with what Carly did uh, and talking about how what they're doing is going to outlive the legacy of the shield. And then we get a really interesting comment from Carly where she says the shield is a monument to a bygone era, a reminder of all the people history just left out. And that's a valid point. We've talked about it on the show that I think part of the reason why Sam, a big part of the reason why Sam did not take the shield immediately when he had the opportunity when Steve passed it on to him is just that thing, a reminder of all the people that history left out. The shield has never represented everyone. It's represented Mm -hmm. a lot of people, and it's meant a lot of things to a lot of people, but that doesn't mean it's always represented everyone. It certainly hasn't represented everyone equally or fairly, so that's a valid point for Carly Morgenthau to make. And then she mentions how she thinks maybe it should be destroyed. Who else just thought maybe it should be destroyed? Sam. He brought up that point just last week. So we see similarities between Carly and Sam, but then we also see the key differences in that there is an argument, there is a fight to be had that they both agree with, but there's a fundamental difference in how they decide to go about it, how they decide to approach solving this problem. And I I think showing that common ground, but then, as I said, also where things break off between characters is really, really fascinating. And that's just really rich character material that this show is providing. And, and I really loved this conversation between these two. Yeah. The, the Carly stuff is just, is really Carly's AKA flag smasher. Um, it, I love the, the dynamic that we see with, with all her people and, and, and what she's doing. It just, again, I, the enrichment of this character and, and altering the, at least what the ideals were from the comic book character and making them a lot more interesting in this show, which we I think everyone could agree that everything about this character is, is 1,000 times more interesting than what the original character was has done in the original comic books. But I, but the ideals are all there that is rooted into this new character, newer character, and which I like a lot. And to see the ideas of, of this character is... You know, they, they view her as the next Captain America just shows you how people, you know, will, will, when they when they find someone who's I want to say charismatic, but is 
a strong leader, whether a leader of, as we see in, in a lot of things where it's people gravitate towards people who will take a stand for something and, and lead them, you know, and, 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 and it's true. People want to be led. People want to have a direction. And when you have people who have, who are, who have command of, of, of the, of what they might identify with, it can, it can be very deadly. And obviously this is a, a no dub, but it's just interesting to see that in, in a context of two people talking and why right. someone would follow someone to do those, these, these things because of how dedicated they are to their, their cause or whatever, and how they, they have those blind spots. So I do find this whole thing just fascinating. And, and it just, I really want this flag smasher character in the 616 universe. She's Carly is awesome. And I yeah. really like the idea of like a, like the other captain America, right? Like there's, it, I don't want to say bizarro Captain America, but it's kind of like that, right? Like it's not John Walker. This is someone that's on the, it's a, and it's not red skull. It's literally a different, like a, tw- I, I want to say twisted, but a different Captain America for a different kind of people. And, you know, and for, for people with different intentions and things like that, it's, it's that same idea for just a lot more out of a different uh, way or level or whatever you want to say. So I like that that was kind of brought up in this part and establishing that even further that she is, she's a leader and and we, not just in this part, but as we get later on, and it's just great to see this actor just kill it, you know, both yeah. actors, but Aaron Kellyman is doing extraordinary work in this series. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week because yeah. Most of her backstory is spoken. I mean, she has to talk about it, right? In order for us to know who she is and what she's about, it's all, I mean, it's in the dialogue that's written for her, of course, but to really sell that, it's in the performance because what we haven't seen for for, uh, Carly compared to Agatha, for example, back in WandaVision, I say back in WandaVision like it was forever ago, it was a few weeks ago, but... Agatha, we actually we at least got a scene, right? We at least got the Salem scene where we saw kind of the beginning of of things. I mean, I guess there was already a turn that was happening before that, but we saw a moment that was a big turn emotionally for Agatha in WandaVision. We got that scene. We haven't had any sort of flashback like that for Carly. All of her backstory is just stuff that she's told us. And maybe we'll get it later, but we haven't had it in in the series. And you can certainly make the case that we should get it in the series and actually see some of this as opposed to just being told. But a credit to Erin Kellerman that she's making up for a lot of it. She's compensating for a lot of that by through her performance and everything that she's doing. And it's just so interesting to see this character and where she stands because there's a couple of other key pieces to this scene. I like the comparison that you had for Carly and John Walker. She's not John Walker, Captain America, but she is in essence in the way in the effect that she has on people and being a symbol that people are following. It is that Captain America sort of thing, which I would actually say makes her closer to not necessarily Steve Rogers and and not Sam exactly, but I think she's the Captain America that Steve could have been and that Sam might have been. Mm if they made a couple wrong decisions along the way. If there were a couple errors in judgment where were it not for who Steve has been or who Steve was, who Sam has been, where they're leading with empathy and compassion and not just always assuming that the person they're fighting is wrong and not necessarily going with because I'm Captain America, the ends, or because my cause is just, the ends always justify my means. 
that's where they differ from Carly. And it's it can be a subtle difference that could be found in, in the gray area, as is debated and, and discussed at length in this episode. But that's where I, I see that. But also what's another the other key component that I was talking about for this scene is Nico approving of this. So Dovich was surprised, and I don't really think all that happy that Carly blew up the GRC facility last week. I mean, she he hasn't defected from the Flag Smashers. He's still part of the group. But initially, he was taken aback by that. And maybe other members of the team were as well. But now we see they've come around to it. And this is actually what Zemo said. Become This is Zemo being proven right. When Zemo last week talked about how when there are symbols and people become those symbols, they become those icons, people forget about their flaws. And so that's what's happening with Carly right now. She's becoming a symbol. She's got, she doesn't have the stars and stripes, but she's got her red handprint on her mask. And that red handprint is, is popping up in more and more places around the world. And she's gaining followers. And those followers are now turning a blind eye to the wrong things that she's doing. Because she stands for something that they agree with. She stands for something that is absolutely right. These people deserve help. These people who have been displaced wrongfully deserve help, and their rights need to be observed. But that doesn't allow her to just go ahead and commit murder, and yet now people are rationalizing that. Well, other heroes had a luxury of keeping their hands clean. It's okay that you just murdered three people and injured 11 more. And if this keeps going, you'll probably need to murder even more people. This is Zemo being proven right. This is the slippery slope that can that can often happen in this situation where when you're looking at this, when you're viewing people through this lens of, or you've put them up on the pedestal, as Zemo also put it last week, that you're forgetting about all these things and you're not asking the questions that you should still be asking of whether or not they're really doing, continuing to do the right thing. So really interesting scene that I think is working on a lot of different, I mean, it seems simple and it's fairly short, but it's really playing on a lot of different ideas that are being presented throughout this series so far. And then we cut back to, uh, we're in uh, Riga, Latvia again, and it's a a debate between Sam and John Walker, because John Walker and Lamar Hoskins, the new Captain America and Battlestar, are here now, and Sam wants to reason with Carly because now they know where she's going to be. Sam wants to reason with Carly. John does not. And Sam cites his experience uh, his experience counseling soldiers who were dealing with trauma because we know he worked at the VA back in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So it's a callback to his experience. But it's not just calling back to what he used to do. It's calling back to the kind of person Sam has always been in the MCU. I think this is part of what's been forgotten about with Sam because he hasn't been emphasized because he hasn't been the main character in a story until now that this is already who he was. It's not like the MCU is now, or the storytellers are now saying, well, this is who we want to say Sam is because we want to add to this character. No, this is who he already was. We just didn't get to focus as much on these aspects, but now it's here and we get a story to tell with this guy and we're communicating the idea that this is who he's always been. This compassionate, empathetic individual that you see in this story is who Sam always was from the very beginning. And it's something that, of course, Steve picked up on and has known as a friend of Sam's this whole time. And that's why Steve felt that Sam was worthy and capable of carrying on the legacy of the S.H.I.E.L.D. And Walker, even though he has no desire to talk, we see somebody else who maybe would have been a better Captain America than Sean Walker even. Lamar Hoskins actually says it's worth a try. And Hoskins is the only one who even brings up that, you know, 
the concern over civilian casualties, you know, because obviously there's a lot of people around. If they try to go in and capture Carly Morgenthau, people may die. And so we see Hoskins having a little bit more of that compassion and care for people than even John Walker does, which is a problem considering that John Walker is currently Captain America and it will become even more of a problem later on. And Zemo, when, of course, Walker says he's going to get Zemo, I, I love Zemo's comeback. I'm sure it will all come to an agreeable conclusion. My associate is just up ahead, and there's the little girl from earlier. So uh, we get to the funeral, and we get Carly uh, eulogizing Mama Danya, and that's where, as I said, Erin Kellyman doing a lot of heavy lifting, sharing her own backstory about how she couldn't remember her mother, her father, her family. She didn't have any of that. She didn't have anything until... Mama Danya helped her, and she says what she learned, what she took away from Mama Danya, which is we have to do for each other because they won't, and we know who they are. And she talks about the str- how the struggle is what brings them, the Flag Smashers and everyone they fight for. It's that struggle that brings them all together. And then she says, we are, after all, simply one world and one people, so live accordingly. Consider that phrase, one world, one people, I mean, we knew that was kind of their mantra that they were chanting earlier in the series, but getting to it at the end of that speech and that eulogy for Mama Danya, I think it really, it clarifies the meaning and the intent behind it. Because if you really think about it, one world and one people doesn't sound all that different than T'Challa's one tribe speech at the UN in the mid credit scene in Black Panther. That's a valid thing. That's a beautiful idea. That is something to strive towards, the idea of one world, one people, as opposed to finding every possible way to create excuses to divide each other, to find more things, to actually find the common ground, to find the things that bring us together as one world, one people. That is an admirable goal. It's something the world would greatly benefit from. So it's a wonderful position for Carly to take up, and I think that's where it just shows how difficult this whole situation is because you have somebody who totally stands for a lot of things that are so right and yet goes about it in the wrong way. And that's where things just get, uh, of course, very, very complicated. Another key part of the scene, though, is Carly, as she's speaking, she spots Sam waiting and it's key that Sam waits. I think that's another thing we talk about Sam Mm -hmm. having understanding for people is yeah, Sam is there with a goal in mind. He needs to talk to Carly in hopes of stopping her from continuing the path that she's going down, but he doesn't interrupt. He knows this is an important moment. He knows what this moment means to Carly and all the people who are there for Mama Danya's funeral, and he waits until that's over before he approaches, and I think that's something that Carly appreciates from Sam, but everything about that scene, I mean, this is why this is the best episode of the series. I mean, scene by scene, we just keep on, I just keep on saying it. Like, this scene is so mm-hmm. good. Uh, and, I, and I love everything that Erin uh, Kellyman did in her performance in that scene. There's a lot to unpack, and uh, honestly. And what I'll, what I'll say about John Walker, which we will have a lot to say about him, obviously. Um, I'll just kind of start a little bit in here. And we get to see the fact that he has a lot to prove. And we've kind of seen uh, him trying to do that since the moment we're introduced to him in that mm-hmm. second or in the second episode. And it is someone who's trying to do the right thing. And but he, the difference is, is that he's trying 
it doesn't come in his nature to do the right thing in a sense to where he's thinking rationally all the time. He's a soldier. He's told what to think. And I think that to me is what we get a lot of the, in this episode, which we'll, we'll, we can dive on later on. And when you give someone the, the amount of power and, and a legacy to live up to that you have no idea how to live up to it, you're going to be trying everything to, to live up and to make it, you know, seem like you are worthy of that title. And we're, we see that through these last couple of episodes. And he is, he's trying to do the right thing, but no one respects him. And, and for good reason, because he's not, you know, he's not Steve Rogers. He's well, because not he's Wilson. not earning it. He just thinks he's exactly. supposed to have it. Exactly. He's, he's trying to like live up to it, but he's not earning it. He thinks that he should, you know, he's, he's trying to do the right thing on the, on the surface and, and in a sense to where he is, you know, I'm supposed to act like this. So I'm going to act like this. It's not where he's already going out of his way and he's, he's earning it. And so, you know, what, like you said, he's earning it. He's assuming that he's going to get it and he's trying to live up to that. And when he's, but he's not getting the responses he wants, you can see the cracks as it goes. And we're getting that every episode and it starts right here again, where he meets up with them. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's Battlestar. He has to say, Hey man, why don't we consider this? And I love the fact that like he has to cool down and then he's like, okay, when he listens to reason, he, he understands again, it's that whole idea that he need he needs a leader. He needs someone to keep him in check to where he, uh, you know, he's not the natural leader that like a Sam or a, or a Captain America, Steve Rogers is. Or even a Carly, as we see here, in a sense to where, like, you know, like to he just he is not a leader. He is someone who just thinks one way and is just like, you know, you know, bruises his way into it. That's his natural, which, again, is very we emphasize that. Right. He's very naturally just a very impulsive, blah, you know, person. And so you get that. And it's a great setup for for this right here for both. Obviously, John Walker and his reaction and Battlestar. I do love the scene where where um, Flag Smasher is is speaking to her people, explaining you know you know what people die for and things like that and what they're fighting for, and you have and she sees Sam and they look at each other mm-hmm. and and I love the fact that when they look at each other, it's she like you said immediately kn- she knows okay they're here but they're not attacking what right. does that mean and. She and so she starts obviously trying to wrap it up, but she knows that their their her people are safe. Right. So I and I love that. So you meet. So with that, all of that, I love the. It fact also that means she's speaking to Sam because she knows he's there and mm-hmm. he's hearing every word. Exactly. So again, a great thing to write. Uh, the, again, the writer and the writers that have come up with this a great part for them to really give an for again, character development and understanding where again, emphasizing the idea of Sam being that social worker aspect, trying to, he's trying to do right for the people of everyone and, and, and try to sympathize and understand where they're coming from to make them understand where they may have lost their way or whatever. And when you, when you get that moment, it just emphasizes the fact that he doesn't think that she's dangerous to an extent to where he couldn't help her. And that's a genuine thing. Obviously, if this was a, let's say, a Red Skull or even a, a really deranged Baron Zemo doing that or whatever, you know, Falcon wouldn't waste time. He'd get in there and they would figure out a way to, you know, to take it, take out, you know, whatever. They wouldn't notify Red Skull or, uh, 
you know, or any enter any major bad guy right there if they're doing some major speech. Like when when Red Skull is doing the speech to the Hydra agents in uh, First Avenger, Sam wouldn't just show his face and make sure Red Skull knew about it and then wait for them, you know, to be done to try to right. you know, un- sympathize or whatever. He understands that that guy's far gone. He's an evil incarnate. So with Carly, I love and, and she, obviously she knows that. That's what she thinks. Like he doesn't think I'm inherently evil. So therefore, I could maybe reach him as well. There's that mutual understanding of like, you know, maybe I can convince you both on both ends. I love the fact that they play off that and just that one simple like, I'm here, we need to talk after you're done kind of a thing. I just, I love that. I agree with you. That it was a great moment. And you don't get that a lot in these superhero stories. It's usually like, we got to take him out somehow from behind. Right. You know, and again, I, I love that stuff too. Well, and wrong. it's Sam's ability to spot the difference. Exactly. There's... Mm-hmm. Some people that you're not going to be able to reason with and you just have to stop. And at and one point, Sam's superpower. Yeah. Well, at one point, Sam thought that Bucky was that person. You know, he mm-hmm. said that to Steve, actually. He's not the kind of person you save. He's the kind of person you stop. And that mm-hmm. was actually a case where Sam was ultimately wrong about it. Bucky was capable of being saved. Mm-hmm. So I guess Sam's not the perfect judge of it, but there's a difference between obviously somebody who's a completely brainwashed super soldier versus someone who is fighting for, you know, is fighting for a just cause and they've just, they've made a mistake. And really that's where it took a turn is when Carly chose violence. It was one thing to just take supplies from the GRC to be Robin Hood, to take from those who have, have all the resources and are withholding it from everybody else and, and actually distribute those resources to the people who need it. You know, stealing isn't the best way to go about it, but there's a difference between that and then just killing innocent people. And that's where Sam knows that Carly has taken this turn, but he's also trying to use this moment that maybe this would be a moment where Carly, as she's experiencing this loss, might be more capable of reflecting on it and try and being reached. And Sam's making that attempt in this scene. And I think Carly observes and respects that again because she notes that, uh, you know, I, I think it, it matters to her that Sam didn't just barge right in that he waited until there was a more appropriate moment to approach Carly and have the conversation. And that conversation, it's such a great discussion between these two characters because when she's talking about all the millions of people that she's fighting for, Sam says that he can't speak for millions of people, but he understands her. And so he's Mm -hmm. connecting with Carly one-to-one and saying, I understand your frustration. I understand your helplessness. And we've seen that through the experience of Sam and Sarah in episode one, and just knowing that that has been part of their experience for their entire lives, which Sarah, of course, also mentions in a phone conversation with Carly coming up in the episode. So Sam relating to that experience, and then Carly wonders if she's making the world a better place by doing what she's doing. And Sam says, it's not a better place if you're killing people. It's just different. And Carly says, you're either brilliant or just hopelessly optimistic. And Sam says, can I be both? And she says, no. I think there's something about Carly that even though she her instant reaction was no, I think Sam's sort of right and he can be both, that you can be brilliant and hopelessly optimistic. But I think that point got through to her. That's why she said, you know, you're either brilliant or hopelessly optimistic. The fact that she even said brilliant at all, as opposed to just hopelessly optimistic she's not sure that she's doing the right thing. And we'll see this conversation kind of escalate and we'll see Carly uh, catch herself in a moment. But meanwhile, as this is going on, Walker wants to go in 
and Bucky stops him. And it's worth noting Walker's reaction to Bucky just putting that hand on him and stopping him because Walker knows he can't beat Bucky in that fight. And I think I don't think Walker likes that he knows he can't. He doesn't like that feeling of knowing he can't overpower Bucky, although eventually Walker shows up. So Bucky must have let him in. Uh, Sam tells Carly we get back to the conversation and Sam tells Carly what Zemo observed, what Zemo thinks, that she's a supremacist. And Carly thinks that she's trying to end supremacy and that the and corporations mm. and the beasts who run them are the supremacists, as she says. And then Sam asks, well, you have a bunch of the super soldier serum. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to increase your army? And it repeats that point that she's killing innocent people. And then Carly just slips right down the slope. They're not innocent. They're roadblocks in my journey. And I'd kill them again if I had to. And she hears what she just said. And because Sam says, wow, and Sam knows exactly what she just said and what that means. And he's troubled by it. But so is Carly because she tries to walk it back, saying that, you know, that that she didn't really mean that. And she knows what she sounds like. But there are people there are people who need to be fought. As she says, there are people who are trying to throw people out of their homes and, and we need to fight back. And then Sam says, I'm not your enemy. I agree with your fight. I just can't get with the way you're fighting it. And, and he says she wouldn't either, pointing to Mom, uh, Mama Danya, whose body is, is lying there for the funeral. Carly doesn't even have a chance to argue with that point. I don't think she would have because then John Walker barges in and ruins everything. But that conversation, because I think Carly surprised herself with what she said with how brutal that was of just and how blunt that was of they're not innocent, they're roadblocks in my journey. I'd kill them again if I had to, because this is Carly. When she tries to say she didn't mean that, it's not true. She did. She believed it when she said it, because that's where she's going down this wrong path, is that she believes in her cause so much that her cause is just. And it is a just cause, but that doesn't mean you get to do anything you want in pursuit of that cause. But she she felt that way. She believes it so strongly that, and she believes she is so in the right that whatever she does, if anything's in the way of that, I am justified in, in removing it. Doesn't matter if they're innocent, doesn't matter if they're just caught in the crossfire. If they're in the way, they're in the way, and I get to take them out and I do it all again if I had to. And she probably would. And this is where she is very quickly going down the wrong path. And, and hopefully, because she heard herself say that, it's the kind of thing that she might change about herself, although she kills again in this episode. But that conversation ending the way that it did. And, and Sam, I think Sam reached her, though, like just getting her to admit that there was a part of her that did that felt that way. There was a part of her, even if she thinks she didn't mean it, there's at least a part of her that did mean it. And that's where she really has to change her thinking. And that was Sam, I think, reaching Carly to some extent to just be honest about it, that she does feel like this violence is, is doing something, but then also understanding how far she can fall, just how far she can walk down that path if she's not careful. And now she's shown it to herself because Sam helped bring that out of her in that conversation. And then just putting that point on it of, I agree with your fight, just can't get with the way you're fighting it, saying that everything you're, you stand for the right things. We just have to find a better way to achieve it. Yeah. And again, that's Sam's superpower at this point. And he's just the fact he's able to reason and see through so much of this and reach someone like that. It's Carly that has, you know, taken has sacrificed people for her own cause and is is an extraordinary thing and a great moment, I think, for the character 
uh, of Sam and Carly, but mostly Sam, obviously. And I think it really shows, again, we're seeing the, the giant seeds, if you will, of why and Sam deserves to be you know, part of the legacy of Captain America as far as this this version of Captain America that he'll eventually become. And the, the whole social ideas of, of, of identifying, you know, and, and understanding. And like you said, like getting people to see reason and where they may have gone wrong and where they could get better is is interesting. And again, redemption, things like that, like those are all things that I think a lot of people forget. And Sam and a character like Sam doesn't forget those how valuable those things are about being able to identify, to sympathize, to understand and to, and to forgive. And those things are so critical in just living day to day life and functioning as a person. Sam gets that because that's what he helped. You know, he, he identifies with that from probably within, within within himself and what's why he became what he did again in Winter Soldier and where we first discover him. And why we he's able to get through to Carly here, you know, it's that he understands and that is such an important aspect of his character and that his, you know, his desire and his belief in uh, growing his belief in and, 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 uh, and dealing with the trauma that you've, you've dealt with and, and learning and getting better from it and becoming a better person from it and forgiving yourself and, and whatnot and, and others. All those things are important about moving on from, you know, from day to day life and, and, and being a better person. Sam can identify and it helps people get that. And again, I always, I'm just saying that's a superpower because in this episode, it's what he's been doing this whole time. And it's, it's an awesome thing to see kind of in light of the antagonist and the protagonist together. Totally agree. And so when we have John Walker ruining everything, he goes in. And so now Carly thinks that it was all a setup and the chase is on. And Carly is able to get away from Walker and Sam and Bucky. But Zemo is there because he had been handcuffed by Walker and got out of it because he's Zemo. And so Zemo uh, finds Carly. He shoots her. And as she's trying to get away from him, she's dropped the vials of the super soldier serum. And Zemo says, is this what I think it is? Of course it is. And he just smashes all of the vials, almost. And then uh, Walker knocks Zemo out with the shield and he finds a vial that Zemo missed, and he just pockets it. So, of course, that's going to come up later. So, And then Sam shows up. And so we get back to, or actually before we go to, you know, back to our, our hideout for Sam, Bucky, and, uh, and Zemo, we get a scene between Carly, uh, Nico, and Dovich. And Carly even says, like, she thought they'd been chosen for this mission that they're on. That's certainly some supremacist thinking to think that you are the chosen one or chosen ones in pursuit of this cause. That's a very dangerous line of thinking because it will trick you into thinking that everything you're doing is just because you have been chosen for this because you were the right person. And therefore any decision that you make must be the right one. This is part of the danger of, of Carly and the traps that she's falling into. And, you know, now she just wishes that there were more of them to fight more super soldiers. They just can't make anymore now. So they decide that they need to deal with those who are chasing them, including Sam, uh, as Dovich points out. And they also receive a text message threat from the power broker. Carly wants to deal with Sam, though, without getting in a direct fight. And I think that's because Sam reached her. Even though she was afraid that it was a setup, there's a part of her that knows that must not be true, that she can't just assume that's the case because there was something very real, very genuine about Sam Wilson. But she does want to kill the new Captain America. 
And so then we get to this question of, would you take the serum? And this comes up a few times uh, throughout the remainder of this episode. So as it's Zemo, Bucky, and Sam, Zemo is uh, icing his face because he got smacked with a vibranium (laughs) shield, having a drink too. Uh, Yeah, so I'd probably do the same thing. So uh, he asks Sam if he was ever offered the, the serum, and Sam says no. And then he asks, well, would you have taken it if it had been offered to you? And Sam immediately says no. And Zemo was impressed by the lack of hesitation. And then Zemo tries to say that Carly is gone. Whatever Sam thinks is still there, whatever is still good or decent within her, it's gone. And he just needs to accept that. They can't allow her and her acolytes to become yet another faction of gods amongst real people. Super soldiers cannot be allowed to exist, Zemo says. And then Sam comes right back. Isn't that how gods talk? That's a good point by Sam because Zemo is talking about he's deciding for himself who's allowed to live and who's and who needs to die. That's not something that Zemo gets to decide either. Does he have a lot of valid points about super soldiers and about symbols and how they can be corruptible and how they are things that and, and how these can be destructive entities within the world? Yes. Absolutely. He's right about all of that. But does that mean he gets to appoint himself judge, jury, and executioner of who lives and who dies? No, it doesn't. But Zemo has done that. And he's gone and, like Carly has, he's killed people in pursuit of what he thought was just, in pursuit of what he thought was right. Even people who had really nothing to do with it. King T'Chaka had nothing to do with the Avengers, didn't deserve to be killed regardless of whatever grudge Zemo held against the Avengers. And Zemo had no concerns about that sort of collateral damage, or he found he felt that that was perfectly acceptable in pursuit of his goal, not unlike Carly. And so for as much as Zemo likes to talk about supremacist thinking, he also is guilty of supremacist thinking and that he feels that very similar ways to Carly that and others that we've seen in these stories that because this is what I think is right, then... It doesn't matter what I have to do in, in pursuit of that, in, in, in achieving the goal that I, in, in achieving the goals that I set out. And Sam is the one who actually has reason and tries to lead with peace in saying that blood isn't always the solution. Uh, and then, of course, Bucky walks in. He he knows what we've also been observing that there's something up with John Walker and, and the guy's going a little bit crazy, which I think we've been leading to in these first few episodes, and, mm-hmm. and we'll go all the way by the end of this episode, and he's about to walk into this room, but just there's another back and forth there, another debate between characters uh, in the episode that was really, really good and just so on point with all of the different things this show is dealing with thematically. This is where things start to really escalate, and uh, it, yeah, it gets, you start to, you start feeling the the ideas of like where the series, this again, where the series was going, and I talked about last episode, the Super Soldier Serum, it seems like we're not there's there's more to it. There's going to be more going on with it. And I still even think that after this episode, which we'll get into in a minute. But, yeah, I think this is where I love where it's starting to really kind of like come not to a head, but it's really starting to get and rev up the ideas and what is going to be happening here for all of these characters here in mm-hmm. the next couple of episodes. So, yeah, this is where things start to really start shifting in that direction. Right. And Walker barges into a room again where he's not welcome or needed. And he demands that they turn over Zemo and Sam's comeback is so great. Shield or no shield. The only thing you're running in here is your mouth. Uh, beautiful. Ugh. Well done. 
yeah. Sam says uh, that at least Zemo, he points out Zemo made himself useful today, which was true. At least Zemo helped them locate Carly. What did what did Walker do besides mess things up? Uh, so Walker tries to challenge Sam to a fight and he puts down the shield and in flies a vibranium spear because the Dora Milaje are here, Io and two more. And this is what I was talking about at the top of the show. When characters just jump into a story, I just, I love it. And mm-hmm. it's valid, though. It's not just, oh, throw them in because it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything's connected. They set this up with Io showing up, of course, at the end of last week's episode, continuing that in the beginning of this episode, but also the history of all of these characters. It's all earned within these stories in this specific story of the Falcon Winter Soldier, but then also the history of these characters dating back to Captain America Civil War. So it all makes sense. It's all valid within the storytelling. And that's what makes it mean so much more. And that's also just what makes it, frankly, more exciting as a fan to watch all of this unfold. The additional Dora Milaje members that we get, we've seen them before. So we have a character who is named Noble, uh, played by Janicia Adams-Ginyard. She appeared in Black Panther. She was also the stunt double for Denai Guerrera in Avengers Infinity War and a stunt double more recently for Tiana Paris in WandaVision as Monica Rambeau. And the other Dora Milaje member is Yama, played by Zola Williams, who was also in Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War. And they are not impressed at all by John Walker, Captain America. And of course, he introduces himself, John Walker, Captain America. They don't care, nor should they. And then Walker tries to say, after Sam points out, like, you're better off fighting Bucky than the Dora Milaje, which is probably true. So uh, Walker tries to say, well, they don't have jurisdiction here. And Io has a great line. The Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves to be. I can confirm that's accurate. Uh, Walker gets uh, Walker gets too familiar, though, puts his hand on Io's shoulder, and that's it. He gets exactly what he deserves, and he ends up getting kicked into that spear that was thrown into the wall, and just it just flies straight into it with his back, and yeah, ouch. Uh, Zemo is watching the whole thing, just calmly sipping his cocktail. It's just amazing. I love Zemo. Can we have a gif of that, please? Yeah, like, yeah. I- in addition to Zemo dancing, which, by the way, uh, shout out to Marvel Studios and Disney nope. Digital Marketing or whoever Dang. else. Thank you for one hour of dancing Zemo on YouTube. I can't believe we didn't mention that before. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, It's just amazing. They I, get it. I love it. They get it. it. They do. They do. Thank you for the Zemo cut. Very much appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, Zemo just watching, sipping his drink. Perfect. And then uh, Bucky's comment to John as he's getting his ass beat is so good. Looking strong, John. Well done, Bucky. Uh, and then he stops. And then when Io is about to thrust her spear into John Walker and kill him, uh, that is when Bucky actually grabs the spear and, and stops that. And Bucky wants to talk about it. And now Bucky and Sam are in this fight of the Dora Milaje, which was originally the Dora Milaje versus John Walker and Lamar Hoskins. And Lamar Hoskins gets beat up a lot in this episode and then gets beat up all the way in this episode, unfortunately. So Io then does what looks like the five-point palm exploding heart technique from Kill Bill on Bucky's arm, which removes his vibranium arm. And then she says something to him, and the subtitles confirm that she's speaking in Wakandan, which is based on Kosa, largely. And so she says something to him in Wakandan while addressing him by name, but this time as James, not as White Wolf. I think the main point, though, is that whether you I don't know if we're ever going to get the specific translation of what she said, but even if we don't, I think the point came across that 
what she said was certainly an expression of some sort of disappointment in Bucky. And also, I think that whatever she said clearly hurt James. And he was certainly not happy to hear it um, and maybe feeling like he sort of deserved it because he disappointed people who really helped him, I think is the main takeaway, at least for now, of what was said to him. And in throughout all the chaos, Zemo, when he was done sipping his drink, was able to get away, pulling in El Chapo, as uh, Sam puts it. Moments before that, there was also a really cool shot of Yama kicking up the shield and catching it like we've seen Steve do in the MCU. But when Sam asks if, if Bucky knew that they could remove his arm, just even him saying that he had no idea that they could do it, it shows that I think Wakanda, when they gave him that arm, they also put a check on that power, which I thought was really interesting. It was also interesting, and I'll admit it, pretty fun to see John Walker being so sad at the end of this scene. They weren't even super soldiers, he said. And it's pretty much the highlight of my week. I mean, not really, but just for fun. It was such a highlight to see him with boo-boo face after getting his ass whooped, looking like he was ready to walk outside, sit down on the curb, and just start thinking about life. But as funny as it is to see John Walker get a little bit of his comeuppance, it just adds to that motivation, right? He's got the super soldier serum in his pocket, and he just found out that he's not, he was just reminded that physically there are so many people who are going to be better than him in a fight that he really needs this. It just adds to the motivation of his desire for power and the decision he ultimately makes to take the serum. To me, and again, I, I, I'm coming from and at it, this character, John Walker, as from the comic books, because I, again, I like the character from the comic books because he is the, he's a jerk. He is someone that is, he, he is flawed and that's kind of the point of the character, especially in, in, um, the series that this, this, um, the comic series that he came, became Captain America and that is very heavily influencing the series and you're seeing it all over. And, and there is actually, we'll talk when we get to the end, there is an, another way that counts back to those comic books as well. John Walker is the difference in here and I think also, and I don't haven't read the comic series in a long, long time, and I need to reread re re it. But, but I'll just talk about the series in particular. Is that they have been built, and I talked about it earlier as well. They are building up towards this this idea of a, he can't live up to the legacy, and that he's trying. And then what you said, Sean, that he's not earning the respect. He demands it, and then when he gets humbled, he doesn't know what to do because then he feels that he's not. He's not Captain America. If he was just some random dude, like, you know, or vigilante or superhero or whatever is getting his, his, his butt beat, yeah, he'd be humbled, but there wouldn't be that level of, like, I am not enough. Because, again, he has to live up. He's living up to the, the wrong ideas of Captain America. He's living up to the, to the soldier of Captain America, not the heart and the spirit of what Steve stood for. And that, to me, is what, is a big difference between uh, uh, the biggest difference, obviously of, of all these different characters of Steve Rogers and, and what makes him different between Sam and, 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 and why Sam is, is much better suited for that role than, than someone like a John Walker. Cause again, he is looking at it from the wrong perspective. I forgot his name. Cause you know, I'm terrible with names as always, but look back again, I keep going back to first Avenger and I'm just realizing how much like this is very much a first Avenger to me, like for Sam and just everything. But, um, uh, oh God, for his name, the character that uh, uh, that Tommy Lee Jones's character wants to pick for the super soldier serum, 
That's oh, John Gil- Walker. Gilmore Hodge. Yeah, Hodge. Yeah, Hodge. totally. That is 100% was going to be Hodge if you give him the super soldier serum. And John Walker inherently isn't a bad person. He's making bad decisions. He's making bad decisions based on what the the weight of the role that he thinks he needs to live up to, and he's doing it the wrong way. And when he gets humbled and when he gets beat, it's like, again, like he's going to have pouty face and rethink his life because this is what he's, this is what his whole life has lived up to be is to be this. And now he's like, I'm going to, I am Captain America now. This is what I am. And so you're seeing the ideas of, of what he's trying to live up to. And he's, when he's not living up to it and it physically punches him in the face. Right. It is again, you start, you see the cracks even more of the desperation of him wanting to live up to that, to that legacy and how it drives him to be, to, to be, to do the wrong things in contrast to a Carly who has, again, wants to live up to, uh, to be a leader to these people and is, and now is like, I need to go up a notch. And the, the ideas of, I have to be more something has, I without with more than myself. And when you go outside yourself to, you know, uh, a very unnatural way, Sometimes you're going to have, or a lot of times you're going to have the side effects of that and the the repercussions from it, you see that. And this is where you're seeing, I think, the beginnings of that with John Walker. You've already seen that built up throughout the series. John means well, but he makes the wrong decisions because he's basing everything off of of a different ideal. And now you see it come to a head where he's like, I am never going to be where that is at this point. How do I become more? He's doing it the wrong way. He's, he's looking at the at the the personification of Captain America the wrong way. So this was where I was like, Whoa. I was like, this is I knew where it was headed basically, and I'm like, this is not good. And so this is where the start of things started getting getting really juicy. Right. And, I mean, and, he's feeling very inadequate, and I think that's exactly. where he's not happy about how it made him feel when he knew he just had to back down from a possible physical confrontation from Bucky because. Bucky put a hand on him, which is probably the kind of scenario in which John Walker would normally fight. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to do that against Bucky because he knew he was outmatched. But he was ready to pick a fight with Sam. I'll put down the shield. Let's go. Why? Because Sam's not a super soldier. So John mm-hmm. Walker was happy to try and you know test his mettle against Sam in a fair fight. Well, then he had the Dora Milaje in a fair fight, and they beat him. And they beat him pretty easily. And so it's not just super soldiers that John Walker can't measure up against in a fight. And he's really struggling with that. And that adds to everything that he's already been struggling with and not getting the respect that he wants or feels he deserves as the new Captain America. And then we get another version of the would you take the serum conversation this time between Walker and Hoskins as they're. They're having a conversation. Of course, Walker gives an autograph and nothing for Hoskins or he doesn't get an opportunity to get asked for an autograph, even though he's done a little Battlestar in his signature or whatever. Clay Bennett, though, so good in this role as Lamar Hoskins. I really do enjoy his performance and kind of bummed we may not see him again. Uh, Mm -hmm. More on the why I put that as uh, may instead of definitely won't see him. That'll be later on. Um, But Walker asks Hoskins if he would take the serum and he immediately answers that he would. And remember Zemo saying impressive that Sam was an immediate no, Hoskins was an immediate yes. And the fact that 
Walker, though, is even asking this question shows that he is wrestling with this decision. Mm -hmm. He wants to take the serum, but he's not so sure it's the right thing. And Hoskins says, he talks about how he brings up, he doesn't know it, he wasn't there for that conversation, but he brings up a similar point to Dr. Erskine when he says, power just makes a person more of themselves, right? Carly Morgenthau, Steve Rogers. So they are who they already were before they had the serum, and that's why you have different results as far as what they did with that serum. And Walker wonders, well, what would it mean for me and Hoskins endorses him, saying, you make the right decisions, and talks about his three medals of honor once again. And Walker phrases that as, you know, to him, what those medals of honor means, as he puts it, three badges of excellence to make sure I never forget the worst day of my life. So Walker's not thrilled to have those medals of honor, and even says that the stuff they were doing in Afghanistan to earn those medals, it didn't feel right. But being mm. Captain America feels right. For the first time in his life, John Walker feels like he's doing the right thing or he's stand he really is standing for the right thing as Captain America. And so this is important from a, a motivational perspective for John Walker because I, I think what we have definitely seen is him worrying about how everyone else sees him. But this is where we're also seeing John Walker being very, very worried with how he wants to see himself. Because this is what hasn't happened, right? He he had this tremendous career as a soldier, certainly one that drew a lot of praise, a lot of accolades. He was everybody seemingly loved him for what he did for his military career and thought of him as a hero. He didn't see himself as a hero because he wasn't even sure that he was doing the right thing. And he's so desperate to do the right thing as Captain America but he can only do that if he feels like he's being the best Captain America he can be, and he's getting the results that he's supposed to get as Captain America. And his current mission right now is to stop the Flag Smashers, but what he's missing is that key component. We go back to this idea of the ends justifying the means. Remember when John Walker said that if we get the job done, nobody's going to worry about how. He said that in last week's episode. That's ends justifying the means, and so that's Walker feeling like, I got to get this done as Captain America. Whatever I have to do in order to make that happen, it must be right because I'm Captain America, and that finally feels right. But this is John Walker just being so desperate to feel... He's he's so desperate to feel just for himself that he's doing the right thing, so desperate to feel, to like himself, to love himself, and feel like he's the hero that others had saw him as before he was Captain America and a lot of people turned on him. That's all what he's trying to make up for. And he's still wrong in a lot of the things he's doing. There's no question about that. But taking the time to give this character a valid emotional position where we see that there is, there's depth to this and in, in who this guy is, and it's maybe the only moment where I felt even an ounce of sympathy toward John Walker, but it's important to have that to show that if we're talking about these stories and these characters and we're going through the moral gray of all of this, John Walker deserves a little bit of that. And we get that in this scene where it's not like John Walker doesn't have any sense of right from wrong because he felt like what he was doing in Afghanistan was was either wrong or it certainly wasn't totally right. And so there is some sort of moral compass within John Walker, but it was already a little bit warped to begin with. And it's just getting worse and worse as it goes along. And that's where Walker really needed to hear Hoskins, even though 
Hoskins was praising him, he should have focused on the first thing that Hoskins said, which is power just makes a person more of themselves, right? So John, if you've already been doing the stuff that wasn't exactly right before you got the serum, then it's only going to get worse if you take the serum, and it does. To me, this is where I think John Walker really, it sets up the idea where he's not this big, despicable person. And I think that's really important for his character because, again, I go back to the idea that he's not a likable person. I like the character in the comics not because he's a good person, but because of what he kind of represents. He represents a side of people that exist out there in this world that are jerks, that sometimes will say and do things that are awful or or mean or or whatever. And at the same time, it just shows you that in the end, like behind those things they do on the outside and in the inside and what they're struggling with is very much, you know, why they're acting that way is the reason, you know, because of their past their history of, of things that they have, have, have done. Maybe they're not proud of or, or lacking or whatever. And it just goes back to the idea of, you know, are we're affected by the things we are and what we've done and how you deal with those, like what Sam deals with all the time with, with the people who the post traumatic stress and things like that. You know, what do we do with that? You know, does it turn us into bullies? Does it turn us into leaders? You know, you know, obviously with the, with the heroes examples, they all, everyone is doing something different. Carly is doing something different. Sam's doing something different. You know, Captain America, Steve Rogers did something different. And with a soldier like, you know, John Walker, U.S. agent, you can tell he just wants to do the right thing. And being a soldier and, and doing things, for, you know, having orders and carrying those orders out, you could tell he's questioning now what he did before and not necessarily, you know, saying I just doing something blindly is kind of like what well, he's questioning that. And it's interesting what, what, what happens later. And I think that that's kind of his, you know, his character is like he's a soldier at heart. He'll do what he's told. And within those re- within those uh, reasons of being told, it's hard for him to discern because of what his because of his past of what is right and what is wrong. And I think that, again, going back to what Erskine says about enhancing the individual from the inside, those feelings of mixed signals or those mixed ideas of what is right and what is wrong, those enhance as well. And we get that in the future here, but I think you more. It's this is important because we have to understand John Walker is not an inherently awful person. He makes bad decisions. He's a jerk, but he's not this evil person. He's just not the most likable person, and that's important for. Well, I think he's an unethical person, but yes, yeah, well, yes, I think he is. You know, he is to yeah to an extent, especially what happens in the future. Yes, and at this point, he's. He's been a jerk and he's not, and he's been, you know, pulling his weight around. And, and like you said, trying to you know, pull, you know, this idea of like my, my mantle gives me the right to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's wrong. Right. But in, in the end, this seems again, going back to what even you said, like, yeah, he's unethical, but you're also seeing the fact it's like with Carly, everyone has a side of why they do things. Right. And you're see- and this is what's important for him because I think it's going to be important for us to understand where as an audience where John is. Cause I don't think he, he's not done. Like he, people who think he's this evil, like bad guy, or he's going to get beat up and thrown away. Like, I don't think that's the case at all. And I think it's important though, which we'll get that in a second. But I think this is, it's what's this scene so important 
is that you understand a little bit that he's not this inherently evil person is that he does come with baggage in a sense to where he's doing what he's told he's doing, he's going, you know, way too far with what he's told, but he's never been a leader. He's been given something that's been, he, they felt like he represented, they, he was given something that these higher ups, these corporations that Carly's talking about felt that he was the right person because he could follow orders. And again, as we're going to see, that's not necessarily always the case. Well, I think it's not even orders so much, though, because we're at this point, I don't really think it's just following orders because which already comes with its own set of problems, just following orders. But in this case of John Walker, we don't see anybody giving him orders. We never see it. Somebody he was given the shield and introduced as the new Captain America in episode one. We haven't seen anyone give him a single order since. We know that he is tasked with this idea of stopping the the Flag Smashers in OK, but he's running his own show in how he goes about doing that. So the original order was probably, yes, go ahead and, and defend the GRC mm-hmm. and stop the Flag Smashers who are stealing from the GRC and are now killing people from the GRC. So there is that basic mission, but a lot of everything else he's doing, he's doing it on his own. He was the one who decided to track down Sam using Red Wing. He's the one who made his own deal to get Bucky out of the conditions of his pardon and out of therapy and all of that. And he's just wielding his power freely and his authority as freely as he wants. And he's been pretty happy about it. He's been smiling and smirking about it. And that's why, as we've seen that in these episodes, that's why I've clocked it as we've gone along and that this is the progression. And we just see these things as John Walker goes further and further down we see the consequences get more and more severe. And then they obviously take a huge leap forward toward the end, at the very end of this episode. But this is the path that John Walker was already walking down. And, and we see this as well in a different way, in a different context with different motivations for Carly Morgenthau, because if we get into the motivations and all the gray of it, but we see similar effects in that we see the way these things can, that people's that people can corrupt themselves in a lot of ways if they really believe too much in their own power and their own authority and they stop questioning themselves and they just go full tilt into thinking that they're right and anything that helps them achieve their goal and where things get even worse is when they want to achieve their goal in the fastest way possible, which is the shortcuts that lead to people wanting more and more power, wanting to acquire more power for themselves and wield that power in very violent ways as the quickest possible path to whatever the end it is they're trying to get to. But that's where John Walker is leading, but that's where we all see Carly Morgan. That's what makes all of this so interesting. It just adds more layers to this story and, and why it's so interesting is we see characters having being affected in similar ways. There are key differences, but also enough similarities to really have you seeing just how complex all of these issues and all of these ideas really are. And then as we move on to kind of the the final act of the episode, Carly gives Sarah a call and Sarah recognizes the name from the news uh, as a terrorist. And Carly uh, says they're revolutionaries. And Carly says that Sam is working for your new Captain America. And Sarah says, I didn't choose him. And Sarah says, who would you or I'm sorry, Carly says, who would you have chosen? And Sarah says, my world doesn't matter to America So why should I care about its mascot? So there's that idea again. The symbolism of the shield of Captain America hasn't always inherently stood for everyone, just like the Stars and Stripes 
haven't always represented everyone, and certainly haven't always represented every everyone in fair, just, and equal ways. So that's where you see the complications around the shield and the symbolism of the shield is it's never meant all the things that it was really supposed to, at least not for everyone. And these are ideas that we've been and themes that we've been talking about throughout the show. And here they are just being spoken aloud by these characters, as Sarah puts it in this scene, as Carly puts it in the scene earlier with Nico. And Sarah is saying that Sam definitely isn't working for the new Captain America. And so Carly sends Sarah coordinates for a meeting. But then she also takes that extra step of threatening Sarah and her kids. Carly says she doesn't mean it. She says that later on, but it's still wrong. You're threatening mm-hmm. an innocent woman and her children. So to a mother, to Sarah, that's one of the worst things she could possibly hear is somebody who's already killed people threatening her life and the lives of her children. That's really, really bad, obviously. And so that's where Carly is again crossing lines. There are lines where she justifies it to herself but just because she's pursuing a noble cause doesn't mean everything she it doesn't mean every choice she makes in order to get there is the right one. That's another wrong one. And so we get another conversation between Carly and Sam. This time Bucky is there. But Sam is also very honest about this. Even though the message was come alone, Sam wasn't trying to hide it. He was obviously going to have backup because he's going into Uh, a meeting with a super soldier who he knows has reason not to trust him and other super soldiers might be there. So Bucky or Sam has Bucky with him. Of course, I mean, Sam was initially going to go by himself and Bucky's like, I'm going with you. But Sam was honest about that. Rather than have Bucky just wait off to the side and only come in as needed, he was honest and straightforward. Here I am. And I brought uh, I brought my friend with me. And then we get into the idea of symbols And Carly even mentioned that she's not going to kill Sam because he's not the one hiding behind the shield. So killing him would be meaningless, not to mean that Mm. Sam's life is meaningless, but it wouldn't represent anything in the war that Carly believes she's fighting. And so what Carly asks of Sam is to join her or just let her go. And Sharon, meanwhile, who's the eyes in the sky, is observing that she sees Walker on the move toward Flag Smashers, calls it out to Sam. And Sam and Bucky are going to head out to deal with that. But they have a quick skirmish with Carly. But then we're off and running and we meet the new, new Captain America. So Walker and Lamar are at this hideout for the Flag Smashers. Lamar is captured. As I said, things just don't go well at all for Lamar repeatedly in this episode. Uh, Walker busts through the door and he observes something about himself in that moment. And it's not apparent, immediately apparent or obviously that he it's not obvious that he's taken the serum because the shield can help you bust through a door. It's vibranium. It's fine. But we see him take a moment to kind of notice something about himself. And then meanwhile, Sam is flying over to this location. Bucky and Carly are running toward it. And Sam, uh, but then and as Walker is in a fight and we see him actually bending that metal, Sam sees it as well. And he knows exactly what that means and asks Walker, what did you do? But Sam already knows what Walker did. And then it gets into a fight in this courtyard of, and it's, It's such a strange visual because it looks cool because it's a Captain America costume and Falcon fighting side by side against these super soldiers. So it's a great visual, but it hurts that it's a lie because you know that's not the real Cap. Or certainly it's not Steve Rogers' Cap fighting alongside Falcon. So it's almost more of how cool this could be be, as opposed to how cool it, it actually is. And then everybody jumps in on the fight. So you have Bucky there, Sam, John Walker, Hoskins, 
They're all fighting these super soldiers. And in the heat of the battle, Carly punches Hoskins. He flies into a column and he's gone. She has killed him or severely injured him. The reason I say or, I mean, if they told us next week that Hoskins is in a coma, I wouldn't really say that that this episode visually disproves that because we don't actually see a fatal injury on Hoskins. And I don't know if that's just not showing. I mean, they don't have to show a lot of blood or a lot of gore. They could they could get away with showing us enough. I don't know if he's going to be dead or not. He definitely looks dead, but there's a possibility that maybe he isn't. But either way, Walker believes that he's lost his best friend. And now he goes ahead and, and loses the rest of his mind so Walker takes off after the Flag Smashers, and he actually gets another great Captain America visual, even though you know it's not representing what Captain America is when he busts out of the window and lands on gives the whole three-point landing with the shield, or I guess four-point when you count the shield. Um, we see him doing that, and it looks cool as hell, but that's not really what this scene is about. And he's going after the Flag Smashers. He can't catch Carly. He just goes after the first one he finds, and that's Nico. And he catches Nico, and then as he's standing over him, we see him lifting the shield, kind of like Steve did with Tony in Captain America Civil War. That was immediately the visual that I went back to. It was in Civil War, at the very end of that fight in Siberia, when Cap raises the shield up over his head, Tony protects his face, but Steve wasn't trying to kill Tony. He just hits the arc reactor and disables Tony's armor. There's no armor. There's no anything. For, to protect Nico, John Walker brings the shield down over and over again, brutally killing Nico as bystanders watch in horror and record on their phones. And we get the title of the episode, really, in essence, there the world is watching. And how heartbreaking it is for the character of Nico, who was a fan of Captain America as a child, and the character that made him believe the person, as a Nico, he's not a character, the person who made him believe there were decent people in the world. Yeah, this cap's not Steve Rogers, but it's still the visual of Captain America and that shield. That's the last thing Nico sees. And so it's just, it's absolutely brutal and heart-wrenching. And Sam and Bucky arrived. Carly was also there watching. And the last shot we get of the episode is Walker standing up, holding on to his blood-stained shield very much a this is America type of moment of this is how a lot of people view a lot of the symbolism is now there's a, there's a stain on the shield. When we talk about the symbolism, you know, symbolism being at the heart of this series and the heart of the, the story that's being told here thematically, this means so much. I mean, of course, it's Walker corrupting the symbol that he was trying to carry on the legacy of Captain America is now he has he has stained that legacy in a very literal and figurative way, but it also points to a legacy that was always complicated and, and never as pristine as maybe a lot of people assumed that it was, as we see that the shield didn't necessarily represent everyone. But now it's in a place where everybody can see this. Whether you always believed the symbol was pristine or you always believed it was tarnished, Everybody knows now, here and now in the present day, this symbol has this horrific, violent stain on it uh, with this blood on the shield for John Walker, a very powerful visual that speaks to, of course, where things are with John Walker, but also where things are in the, the legacy of the shield of Captain America, past, present, and future. 
And it's difficult to watch. It's not a, a thrilling or exciting scene in, in the way that is fun to watch in the MCU, but it's still a great scene because of what it all the different ideas that come to a head in this final moment. And it's the sort of thing they were talking about all episode long, all series long, even though this isn't the end of it. We still have two episodes left, but it's all been building toward this moment. And then, of course, what happens next, which we'll find out as the weeks go on. There's this whole moment just blew me away because what I remember in the comic books there, and I want to spoil it for people who want to read, the, read it because it's definitely worth reading. And again, dialogue's outdated a little bit, but the story is there and there's a story that's very, very similar to what happens to John in this and John loses control and you see the stark, very stark and obvious difference between him and Captain America immediately. And I think this is, this is so important in so many different ways from, I think a thematic standpoint, from a John Walker standpoint, from a Captain America standpoint, so everything it's important for so many different levels. And, you know, I, I think it immediately just hits the fact that like the shield was used to kill. And that was in the way, in the way it was done just was so brutal. Mm -hmm. The fact that like they did that and they didn't show, show it, but the fact that they essentially showed it in a sense to where it happened in the story. And then you see that the, it just, I was shocked. I was shocked that they went that far to, I think again, and this is where I think the medium of film is so, you know, in film or TV or whatever, uh, moving pictures, uh, is so, awesome and can be so powerful as that is, is in the symbolism that you can show in something like that. And I love just the angle they went with and just, and the fact that, you know, it's being filmed. And I think the fact that, you know, you get to see this man being brutal, you know, getting brutal vengeance on what, you know, just happened is, and and what that's going to mean for, I think the people in America, what it will mean for just, you know, John Walker and what it'll mean on that mantle and what people will say and how there's going to be people on both sides. And obviously more people that are going to be saying like, why would Captain America would never do that? But there's going to be people out there who say maybe he will, or he should have, or, or whatever. And you're going to see the house you know, right now, maybe the country could be really divided on, you know, or not divided, but very at odds with each other because of these reasons. And they need, they, you know, the country needs and the American needs, the world needs a, a Captain America that is, can unify the people. And that's where I think, you know, and, and respect that person. And I think Falcon definitely will have that, you know, this is a good way for them to see the, the reasons why Falcon, and there needs to be a Captain America that people can respect and, and know and has already earned that re- respect. And I think from an aspect of, you know, John Walker you know, we're going to see he, you know, obviously this was the wrong thing to do in my opinion. And I think that John's going to have to live with those, those consequences. And that's going to be a really critical part for the character. I think this is going to be a turning point for the character. I don't think that it's going to be this, like he's gonna be a 180, but I do think again, the setup that I talked about earlier where he's talking about, you know, I'm just doing things that was wrong and I felt wrong about it. He's going to see the things that, you know, oh man, like I, I did those things basically, you know, same things I did back in, you know, Afghanistan or whatever I just did now. 
I did, you know, I went through with something that I totally have to, you know, live with those consequences before. And I talked about having orders and things like that. Yeah. Like he was following through what people told him to do. This was his own act. And this is where he'll have to deal with those consequences. And, and I think that's where we're going to get a little bit of a turn of the character. He's going to see the consequences of what his actions will he do bring as a symbol and what that means for him. Because he gets, again, the whole point of him being videotaped um, on YouTube. I say videotaped, sorry. Videoed, whatever. Um, how important that's going to be, I think, for this character. Because I don't think he's going to be, you know, just a lot of people who are who don't read the comics and this is not a like you don't read the comics you don't understand it's i think and maybe i'm wrong i could be wrong you know mcu does not fall obviously verbatim the comic books but you don't cast someone i think like um oh wyatt, gosh, russell. Offer, wyatt russell I, I knew it was a russell but i forgot his first name wyatt russell who is very charismatic um is i think is a great punchable face uh for people that have said very well as as john walker um, and, and knowing the character in the comic books, I don't think you do that to cast him as a villain, as someone that everyone's going to hate and wants to throw off to the side. Instead, I think it's someone that I think people ne not necessarily forgive, but I think people will look at and say, you know, this is someone who has to deal with the consequences and how that like those people can still get better. Cause that's what I think he'll end up being. And I think he'll, I'm not sure, sure he'll be an Avenger, but I def definitely think a Thunderbolt is a, a possibility something along those lines. And I think that the super soldier, super soldier serum that he has in him is going to make him that, that loose cannon that people are going to have to keep in their eye on. And that's where I kind of feel like that's why one who won't, he'll stick around, but I do still think that he'll have his chance to redeem himself and learn in a sense to where he has to learn to be a better hero and the better control and I think that's where, you know, his story arc is going to be. And this is the, the start of it. And he has to, and again, I keep going back to, you have to deal with the repercussions of your actions. And, and, and you're as a leg, as someone who has, who's trying to live up to a legacy, this is why it's important to choose the right people because the, the trying to live up to that legacy, you're going to be lead you to the wrong decisions that we see him do time and time again. And ultimately this will be the biggest wrong decision he will make as captain America. And I think obviously the last, and one last thing I'll say with this, Sean, I'm curious, will this mean, will he give up the role of captain America and the shield unwillingly, like a big fight between captain America or with this video, with this video screen. And this again, goes back to the comics a little bit. Will it lead to him potentially giving it up willingly? Like I am not fit to be Captain America, and would that maybe win people over in a sense to where he's acknowledging that he's not fit? So, a couple different things. I'm starting to kind of think in my own head. I think he might willingly give it up at that moment. You don't think he will? He's too prideful and everything. But I think with that whole conversation um, with Battlestar before. I think that this very well could lead to a point where he gives Sam the shield, even though that maybe the people he doesn't own it, he gives it to him because he, he knows it's the right thing to do. I think it's, there's a lot of potential there with that. I don't know what John Walker is going to decide to do. I could see him. I could see this going either way at this point. I could see yeah. him looking at this and being horrified by what he's done and dropping the shield and then, Sam eventually takes it up or whatever. I could see that happen, but I could also see it going the other way because I think there's another interesting question of what does the world think? We know the world is watching, but just because the world's watching and just because you have bystanders there who are horrified by what John Walker did doesn't mean that everybody is going to turn on him. It doesn't mean that. And in fact, 
going back to that idea of Zemo being at least partially right in the danger, because uh, it's a lot about the the power and danger of symbols when they become essentially their own justification for anything. This is the danger that Zemo is talking about. As I mentioned with Carly earlier, she's gaining followers and people are justifying and rationalizing things she's doing, including murdering innocent people, that that's okay because she stands for the right thing. Well, if that's what's happening with the Flag Smashers, then presumably that's what's going to happen in the world with John Walker and that, hey, he's Captain America. That guy was a terrorist. So if Captain America kills a terrorist, so be it. Steve Rogers also killed people. You can't say Captain America never killed. You could certainly point to the difference in the circumstances that here's a guy who's just pleading for his life and saying he didn't do it because this is not the guy who killed Hoskins. And Captain America never brutally murdered somebody in the way that John Walker did. So the context of the situation is different. But people, who cares about context? When you have people, I care about context, but you know that plenty of people will throw context right out the window and just say that John Walker was carrying out his duties as Captain America. Sorry you had to see how ugly it gets, but Captain America had to take out, had to stop a terrorist who was part of an organization that murdered innocent people. Therefore, that person is responsible for those murders just like anybody else within the Flag Smashers, and Captain America killed him. Oh, well, good for you, Cap. There are going to be people, I think, who will endorse, approve, even praise what John Walker did, so what does he think about that? Does that lead him to go farther down this path? Because he has been on this. He has gone through this thing of feeling like because he's Captain America, what he does is inherently right because he has a mission. Whatever his mission is, it must be the right one because he's Captain America who's carrying it out. And anything he has to do in the process of that must also be right. Or at least it's justified enough because of the end result in, in whatever his end goal is as Captain America, it has to be the right one. So if John Walker has already had some of those feelings, which is what made him somebody who should not have had the super soldier serum in the first place, and nobody gave it to him, he chose it and gave it to gave it to himself. So I could see him if he's always wrestling with this idea, because like even should I take the serum, he was relying on the opinion of Lamar Hoskins. So he allowed even John Walker's doubts about himself. He allowed his friend's endorsement to override that. So if the public and his superiors, the corp, you know, whether it's the government or the corporate, you know, beasts who own the government, essentially, if it's if they're saying you're our guy, you did the right thing. And there are plenty of other you know, random people who say you're our guy, you did the right thing. If John Walker accepts exterior approval as justification for the decisions that he makes, we already know that he's done that. He might do that again this time. And he might feel like, look, I, I killed a terrorist. I don't like what I did. I don't like that the world saw how ugly that was. But at the same time, this guy was part of a group that killed my friend. And I they, I was reacting emotionally. I was reacting in, in immediate response to believing that my friend had just been killed or the fact that my friend really was, uh, really had just been killed. So John Walker, I could see him saying that this has gone too far and I'm wrong. I could also see him giving himself a pass on this. I don't really know what's going to happen, but that's going to point to, I think, the bigger thing is that we're looking at 
This story is dealing with these individual characters and it's doing so in a very in-depth and brilliant way, but it's also dealing with bigger ideas because it's all it's talking about people becoming symbols and what those symbols represent. And so this is where if you look at what the decisions that Sam Wilson is still faced with in all of this is that that symbol, that shield, it's still going to mean something. And now it means something that it was never meant to. I mean, there's been the point that people have made that I think is a very good point when people say that Steve Rogers was the way America sees itself and John Walker is the way a lot of the rest of the world has seen America. And blood on the shield certainly represents that because you can't be honest and say that America doesn't have blood on its hands, whether it's inside America or outside of America. And so having blood on that shield is a very striking visual in story and outside of the story. And so now I think for a character like Sam Wilson, people want a leader. And I think that's what we see in the conversation between Nico and Carly. People want leadership so bad and they want leadership and symbolism that represents everyone. They want it so bad that they're willing to accept people who are imperfect and and more than just imperfect because Sam Wilson is not a perfect individual either, but they want it so bad that they are willing to overlook things that are obviously wrong. Murdering innocent people, wrong. Um, Even somebody who wasn't necessarily innocent in Nico, he was innocent of the crime that John Walker was killing him for, but he was part of the Flag Smashers and, and committed other crimes, but still didn't deserve that. And you still see a moral line being crossed. And these are the types of lines that Sam Wilson isn't crossing. So if the world needs a symbol, if the world needs someone to look up to, and these symbols are going to be around and they're going to have power anyway, and that includes Captain America and the shield and the stars and stripes of it all. If it's going to exist, what's it going to stand for? And the only way that you can have any sense of control over what it's going to represent is if you're the one wielding it. And I think that's where Sam is really going to see the need, despite all the very valid reservations he has about taking on that symbol, that it's something the world really wants. And in order to make sure that it happens in the right way, that he's going to have to trust himself to be the one to know what was right. And when he says at the end of Avengers Endgame that he'll do his best, and Steve said, that's why it's yours, because Steve knows that Sam's best is good enough. John Walker's best, not good enough. Unfortunately, even though the shield, even though we're not talking about the shield, but the symbolism of the flag smashers, Carly Morgenthau, not good enough. Sam Wilson is, he needs that shield. And in fact, the shield at this point needs Sam even more than Sam needs the shield. Uh, Mm. And of course, the whole world needs Sam uh, to carry that shield and allow it to finally represent not only everything it stood for when Steve had it, but everything it didn't stand for when Steve had it. And Sam Wilson presents that opportunity. And so when it happens, it's going to be incredibly powerful and moving. But, you know, this is where we had to be in this uh, in, at this point in the series. I mean, if we look at it in a three act, uh, three act structure, we had six episodes. So we're two thirds of the way through it. Episode four, end of act two. This is where we hit our low point, and And this is it. Bloodstained shield as the world watches Captain Amer- the new Captain America brutally murder somebody. So now we have to see what happens next. And there are no easy answers. And I think that's the other part of it. And that's why there's so much complexity of what's going to happen now and so many questions around that is because all this show has been telling us the entire time is that none of this stuff is as simple as it seems. It's all incredibly complex 
which is why we get such incredible, uh, such interesting debates throughout this entire episode. And these are very complicated ideas that, uh, you know, and the expression of those ideas and, and what they ultimate and the, the feelings that people have, the emotions that people have, the ideals that they stand for, the ideals that they strive toward, whether they are noble or not, depending on how you go about it, can have obviously very positive and positively and powerful results, but can also have very negative, destructive results. And that's what this series has shown us. So in order to really strive towards something much more hopeful than the result of Carly Morgenthau committing murder at the end of last week's episode, or John Walker committing this murder and and staining the shield on this week's episode, Sam Wilson is the guy who can lead the world into a better future to get closer to that one world one people ideal and do so without the shortcuts of just committing violence as and, and justifying that because of a noble cause to really get toward doing the right thing and going about it the right way. That's what we need Sam Wilson to do as the new Captain America. And I believe eventually it's going to happen. But this was an incredible episode. I just I absolutely loved it. Best episode of Falcon Winter Soldier so far. And I think mm. on par with the best episodes of WandaVision, just Excellent, excellent stuff. So, of course, you know, tip of the cap to Kari Skoglin, the director, Derek Kolstad, the writer of this episode, Malcolm Spellman, head writer for the series, everybody else in the writer's room, and anybody who contributed to this one, uh, really a, a job well done. Not that they're listening to this podcast, but in the event that anybody is, uh, great job. This episode was outstanding. Uh, that is where we're going to wrap up this edition of the MCU Fan Show. But before we go, I want to say thank you to William A., uh, Mohammed T., Annie D, Jeff E, Tony V, Moon, Connor G, and and uh, Ian D. Some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash John Gerber, where we have exclusive podcasts like Patreon Credit Scenes, where the corresponding Patreon credit scene for this episode is going to be our conversation about the latest trailer for Loki. So you can find that exclusive podcast and more at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes and then follow us in the places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, aka Pthug at Herman22. Uh, also follow my and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. I just launched a, another uh, uh, short view video, right? Uh, review a comic book called Erratic. Um, that's a superhero comic from the AWA Upshot comic books. And we'll do a little review of why you need to be reading that. And also, we'll be having. I think I'm 90% sure a little special announcement next Thursday. I, again, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Um, so just look at that. It's not like a big announcement. It's, it's a fun little thing that I've been working on and I'm excited to kind of share with everybody. So I'll probably do a little live stream with that, with some people and then just some changes of the channel and then like changes, but like uh, additions, if you will, and just kind of fun little things we'll be doing. So yeah, check that out. It's going to probably happen around 7:30 uh, Pacific pacific standard time so yeah follow the comic uh the comic binge twitter and the youtube channel and the twitter is binge comic and you can find me on twitter and instagram at mr sean gerber also don't forget at herman 22 is with two n's aka p thug on twitter thank you uh so for paul i'm sean thank you all so much for listening to this episode of mcu fan show take care we'll see you next week